Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you, one that will provide several hours of pleasurable relaxation and diversion for you and your family. Hello and welcome to the season two premiere of Dead City Drive-In, the only podcast that puts the thick back in Southern Gothic. I'm Brandon Windish. And I'm Chris Olgan. And we are the heads of programming in this here dead city. And in this episode, decreed by the higher-ups, our bosses, the drive-in gods, we have been tasked once again to program a specially themed double bill for the ravenous hordes of mutants and madmen outside our projection room door. Season two! We're back, baby! We're back, back, we're the man behind the mask. I was thinking like Ghostbusters 2. Ooh, we're back. <laughs> we're back to fight the evil. We will never but deceive you. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to our season two premiere. It is season two. And it's good to have you back. It's good to have you back, Brandon. <laughs> We've got each other back. Yes, yes. We're reunited. Yeah. It actually feels um, like a long time since season one. Yes. Yes. It, I guess it has. Well, it has been, yeah. If, if I guess you are it was, what, listeners. October of 2020, and now we're already into 2021. Holy shit. And not just in it, like deep in it. Like balls, balls deep. Balls deep. Or, you know, okay, look, say maybe ball deep. Depending on who you are. That's true. Okay. Some people, you never know. You never know. Thank you, guys, the listeners. Thank you so much for, um, one, listening to our show, and also for being so patient while we get this shit made for you. Yeah. We're wanting to do this right. This season is not going to be that much different uh, in terms of content, but there are going to be a few things that we're kind of shaken up. We're, we're going to be giving some... More bonus content this uh, this season. Yeah, exciting stuff. We got some g- great response for our commentary, so we're going to kind of lean yeah, into that a little more bit. More commentary. We're going to do a special, hopefully, run the series uh, episode that we want to put in there. Brandon, you want to explain to the, the uh, viewers at home? Yes, if you're, are, if you're are, watching at home, they're watching with their earballs. <laughs> uh, run the series is a concept that we came up with uh, that we basically just watch. I shouldn't say we came up with. It's not like I fucking. Sat here and was like, oh my God, you know, no, he's never should, done this we before. Should, we should copyright this shit. <laughs> and everybody should be paying us royalties for this. Uh, but we basically, we pick a series. Well, a film series, yeah. That's I mean, right. Maybe at some point in the not too distant future, we may entertain a television series, but not today. Yeah, thanks. For that, that clarification is necessary. No TV, but we pick a, a, a series of films uh, or that has a film. Oh, my God. What the fuck am I trying to say? Well, basically what we're going to do is we're actually going to go through all of the Fart Party movies. So we're going to do <laughs> Fart Party 1 through Fart Party 9. We're going to watch all the Fart Party movies over again. And then we're going to basically uh, kind of just spill our guts and, and kind of talk about our thoughts and uh, a little bit of critique, a little bit of commentary, um, a little bit of brown nosing. Well, I think we'll probably end nosing. up ranking them, too. Yeah, well, maybe. That'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see we'll see how we do it. Uh, we haven't done it yet, but it's a plan of ours to do. We want to pick some great uh, drive-in-centric uh, film series for you guys. Uh, so, And then, of course, the thing that we're most excited for, now that everybody's getting 
vaxxed and waxed. Yeah. Is being able to actually gather together in a in a space in an environment again, um, not just in this projection room, this projection booth, but actually in a venue. Am I going to be invited? You are the star of the show. Well, because I'm vaxxed, but I'm not waxed. Man. Well, we're going to have actually, to change I that, am, Chris. I have turned into one hairy motherfucker <laughs> over the last year, man. I mean, the hair is long. The beard is long. Well, we're going to get uh, um, that stripe of hair that runs from the nape of my neck all the way down my back, down my crack, yeah. and up into my taint. You know, it is f- fuzzier than ever. No, you look like a regular uh, the girl from Howling 3. Oh, yeah. There we go. <laughs> What's her name? Jerboa Jerboa. <laughs> The marsupial girl, except I don't have a pouch. No, <laughs> I got a sack, well, yeah. but I don't have a pouch. <laughs> so yeah, guys, we are our big plan for our season finale is a live show. Yes, live in three D, and of course we'll keep the details, um, get the details out to you as soon as that um, happens, um, because we'd love to see you there. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got some great ideas, uh, things planned for that as well. And we cannot wait uh, to get the season cranked into high gear. But I think we should probably start it here. Yes. Every journey begins with the first step. And today is that step. All right. So let's just get right down to it. All right. So our guest this episode is a graduate of the University of Central Florida School of Film. Go Knights! Yes. His first film premiered in the midnight slot at Sundance, and upon wide release became the highest grossing independent film of all time. He is the recipient of the Independent Spirit John Cassavetes Award. He is the director of the feature films Solstice, The Objective, and Skyman. Oh, and his aforementioned debut film, you might have heard of it. It's called, uh, what is that? Uh, the Blair Witch Project. He is currently wrapping up post-production here in Florida on his new film, the Southern Gothic anthology, Black Veil. Welcome to Dead City, Daniel Myrick. Yay. Great to be here, guys. Uh, your, your first movie literally changed the course of uh, maybe uh, not just genre filmmaking, in my opinion, but maybe film in general. I, like, there's only a handful of films that really have, like, left a mark, and especially when you're talking about genre. You can break it down, you can go, like, let's just start in the modern era with Psycho, Halloween. Um, after Halloween, I really don't think there was anything monumental that changed film until Blair Witch Project. And after that, it was, what? Like, I, I just, I, it, it, it guided everything completely differently, you know? Yeah, I think we we were really influenced a lot by what was going on at the time. You know, reality TV was just sort of coming into its own. Real World came out on MTV. Twenty four seven news was sort of coming into the mainstream and sort of sensitizing audiences to seeing that kind of shaky cam footage. Yeah. So we were sort of reflective of what was going on, and of course, the internet was just sort of coming into its own. So. Um, if it hadn't been us, it would have been somebody else, right? <laughs> yeah, so, timing is everything. It yeah. is. It really is. And we just sort of took that format and having been inspired by sort of mockumentaries in our childhood, like In Search of, Legend of Boggy Creek, Ancient Astronauts, all that yeah. stuff. I had a UFO club when I was a kid, <laughs> a UFO <laughs> magazine. And all yeah, that all stuff, that yeah. stuff. So we just sort of, Ed Sanchez, my co-director on this, and I just you know, sort of uh, kind of took that and ran with it. Yeah, I mean, you, it really blurred that line, that reality between 
the film world, the real world, especially, you know, just from like the, you know, that marketing perspective kind of helped aid that as well. But, uh, and, you know, that started at Sundance, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, you had missing posters up at Sundance? Well, yeah, we had, we started off with sort of a slow level kind of uh, internet web page campaign yeah. prior to Sundance, which is sort of kind of hooked in some of our key And like, I fans. visited that site plenty of times because right. I was like, I wanted to know more. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was a senior in college, I guess, the year that the, the movie came out. Um, and it was just, what is this? What the hell is this? Yeah, I, mean, I even had like a, a, a cop from Albany call me thinking like, well, I never heard of this case. Of these. <laughs> I would work there i worked you know a case you know back that was similar to that but i had never heard of it and i had to stop a mid-sentence like this is all fake so <laughs> stop you right there yeah please don't arrest me <laughs> but yeah I, mean, I just think that people are sort of like you know we all love kind of you know horror stories we all love folklore we all love a good conspiracy mm-hmm. and we just sort of tapped into that i want to talk in a second about our first experiences with with blair witch but mm-hmm. before i do i want to ask you how dan does it feel to have made the film that took the title away from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I feel bad about it, man. I really I can't. You should. Yeah. You should. I feel pretty My childhood. bad. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. It was like Ninja Turtles was like the highest grossing, you know, indie film for it years. It was yeah. huge. I mean, and that's, you know, uh, the, some people could argue that, um, you know, it was – superseded by this film or that film sure, but when sure. you when you look at you know 1999 dollars you know and and factor in inflation it was pretty insane i mean we had hoped we could just like sell it to tv and you know get our money back <laughs> yeah. on it maybe a you know vod deal or something like that and yeah. it just went crazy so no one really predicted what 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 happened well chris what was your first experience with blair witch i, I you, do you remember like the first Actually, I'm going to answer my own question answer before you question. start. That's because fine. Go right ahead. <laughs> so you know. at this time, I, I was pretty young. I was a devout reader of Fangoria. And Fango ran, I, st- I mean, I still have it. Like, that issue, it had uh, Deep Blue Sea on the cover. It had The Haunting was, I think, the cover movie. Um, and then it had the Fango Seal of Approval part. And it was toward the back, back or so of the issue. And it was talking about this movie that was had played at Sundance. Had not come out. I mean, this was a just Fango exclusive, as far as I knew. Talking about the now infamous mythology of the making of the film. Right. Which, again, very few movies do people know the story of the making of the movie along with it. Like, Jaws is one of those. Yeah. And Blair Witch, I feel like everybody knows about your recorded cries of baby whispers and terrorizing your cast. Like, that's a very famous story. I remember reading that and just going like, this one, brilliant. And then two, I was like, holy shit, this sounds terrifying. Like, this is right up my alley, like, as far as the stuff that scares me goes. And then nothing. Because it was Sundance, so it took a while, right? And I remember in Rolling Stone seeing a double-page spread of the movie, that negative image of the woods. I think it was, and it had the timeline at the bottom of like the hand that came out of the wall. And I was like, well, this is so fucking scary. And then I was like upset. Then it was the website for me. And I was like, oh my God, I know all about this movie. And everybody's going, I heard it's real. I heard it's ooh And I'm like, I read in Fango. Yeah. <laughs> I got the exclusive guys. Months ago. Yeah, yeah. Fango had, you, had, it, had the lowdown. Yeah. Yeah, but much the same. I mean, it was... Uh, 
this gets thrown in a lot, but the hype, I mean, seriously, the hype around the film yeah. was just absolutely insane and, and very palatable. And being a person that had gone to UCF and knowing that the directors, you know, had, had spent time in Orlando as well. Uh, I was like, Oh, I definitely got to check out, you know, this and see what's going on here. Um, but actually uh, the, the first opportunity to see the film, and actually I think we might have met that day too. Probably. Uh, was, was 22 years ago. You guys were doing a showing at the Tampa theater. And right. I was also and at that screening. Was at, this is actually, before he and I, probably about six months before he and I were introduced to one another, but yeah. we were both at that showing. I was sitting up in the balcony I with was a couple friends of mine. And, and, uh, <laughs> I asked the question that yeah, day, yeah. too. I have <laughs> no idea what I asked you. It was probably something really that's, like, that's nerdy. Yeah. I, I asked a question, and uh, that's this, awesome. you know, a lot of brain well, cells. Technically, now, why does, how, now, where is the, the witch living um, at this time? <laughs> no, I don't think I asked the question. <laughs> We've been asked that one, though. <laughs> but the visceral reaction that I had from watching that movie, and I mean, I've been a, I've been a horror movie aficionado since I was probably about five or six years old, and that final scene in the film, you know, going down the stairs and seeing people standing in the corners and everything, the chills that I got in that particular moment will live with me forever. I mean, there's very few times that I've been in a theater where I've been as just chilled to the bone as I have in that particular moment. So I should probably say thank you, sir. You're welcome. It was a scene that almost didn't make it into the final film. That's what I want to ask. I I have a couple of nerdy questions about Blair Witch and then then we'll, we'll, we'll move on. But I'm like... Is it? Did you guys shoot like multiple endings? We did. We we did a test screening in New Jersey of the film that screened at Sundance, and they held you know a questionnaire afterwards, and twenty or so you know people that were polled uh, really liked the ending, but they were confused as what it meant, and so that kind of spooked Artisan, the distributor that picked up the movie, and they had us shoot you know five new endings and those are basically the endings that ed and i threw out in the early versions of the script i mean they've never been seen before though well they, they were included in a later dvd as a special edition so we we <laughs> shot those and you know we admittedly we needed the money at the time we hadn't been paid any money up to that point so we really need so we went yeah we'll shoot these endings sure <laughs> so we cut them all in individually and we screened them and they just weren't nearly as good as what we thought the original was so we lobbied to keep the original and, and to artisan's credit they did and and it ended up being one of the most talked about aspects of the film so. i just remember because i was so taken by the experience i'm one of those people that like when i'm watching something i'm not like a I'm not a detailed nerd as much as I am like an emotional, I get like, it's an emotional response. That's why I like, I cry in every movie and I get scared. It like when a movie is full of the tense tension and dread, I don't jump scares do nothing for me, which is why Blair, Witch was so effective because I remember that ending seeing it and going, okay, spooky. Right. And then I, it really didn't hit me until we were leaving the theater. And I remember talking to, I think I was talking to my dad about it. And my dad I was like, God, in the corner, and my dad was like, Yeah, because that's how she, what she would do with make the kids face dad, the corner. Can I sleep yeah. in bed with you tonight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I'm terrified. The, just you were the notion. I mean, I was I was 16. Yeah. I was 16 okay. when Blair yeah, Witch came like out. I was like 22 when it came out. Yeah, that's so. like, a great time to see a movie. I mean, really, yes. my, the, the movies that influenced me the most around that age range, where you're sort of kind of finding yourself and. You know, emotionally and psychologically figuring the world out. And in that, in that period of life, when those movies come out, it's like I grew up on, you know, Spielberg films yep. and Jaws. And, you know, I mean, they had huge effects on me. And, you know, lesser known films like 
you know, it's alive and stuff like that. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. gotta get that Larry Cohen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm, I was, you know, and they, and they just imprint. Right, the yeah. imprint on your head and because your part of your language, yeah, really, and absolutely. your reference well, point it expands what you think movies can do. I mean, I always talk about you know life changing film experiences, and I mean honestly, not kissing ass or anything. I mean, Blair Witch was one of them because it changed my perception of how you could use film and what yeah. film could be as far as getting a reaction out of the audience and and storytelling in general. Yeah, yeah. and you guys talk about emotion because that really is where. I've always tried to make films from an emotional standpoint because it's easy to do jump scares and it's fun to have a few in there. But really, if you're not invested in the characters and the storytelling, all those scares later on just don't resonate as much. You're not it as means invested. nothing. It doesn't mean anything to you. Yeah. Right? I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, emotional – you forget – like you watch a Hitchcock movie and you'll forgive the dated stuff if, yeah. you, if you're not some – dickhead but like you'll forgive the dated stuff and you just react i mean i just watched north by northwest the other night yeah and i cried i cried at the ending when she's hanging on the you know lincoln's nose or whatever and he's like take my hand she takes his hand and he pulls her up and then it cuts to they're in the in the train and he's like they're married and he's like pulls her up into the train car and it was like this clean beautiful edit and i was like this it's corny because he calls her Mrs. Whatever his name is, you know, and she takes his hand. But it was so beautiful and it was such a f- pure filmic emotional yeah. moment that it transcended everything. I was like weeping. I was yeah. just like. <laughs> no, that's really good filmmaking. Anybody make a movie like that? I mean, that's what I love about Spielberg, early, especially early Spielberg. Yeah. And, you know, Jaws, when you really back out of the scares, it's like, what an awesome script this is. And an amazing characters. Um that just happened to be in a horror movie. Yeah. I, I I have another uh, another question for you. Um, is it true? Were you you guys were you offered Exorcist four at one point? We were, yeah, yeah. And I we didn't touch that with a ten foot pole. I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, because that's one of my all time favorite films. Yeah, so to me, it's sort of hallowed ground. Yeah, and not to like, Paul Schrader. Well, not Paul Schrader, <laughs> or not no, to no. Reddy Harlan. No, no, no. <laughs> Go for it, Randy. <laughs> go, Randy, go. Um, nothing against Randy. It, just, it was just, again, and not every movie is best for every filmmaker, right? right. So for us... Yeah, it was a match. There, yeah, for us, it's just like, I don't even know how I would do this. Well, the Hollywood perspective is, okay, so The Exorcist is the scariest movie and highest grossing movie. These guys made the scariest, highest grossing new movie. Yeah. They put, should do it. Yeah, A plus B equals C, right? right. And they put us together. And so we, we sort of said thanks, but no thanks. Um, I mean, maybe we would have done a great job. Who knows? But it's just one of those things. It's like I don't. If I screw this up, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be. How do you the, crack the nut? I, I'm going to be can't the, crack the yeah, nut. I'm going to be the yeah. schmuck of Hollywood forever. So, um, so yeah, it's it's there's there are you know, I, and ironically, I don't really consider myself a horror director, although a lot of people do. But I love the genre, and I love sci-fi, and I and I love playing with those sides of people's emotions, but. Um, like we were touching on to earlier, I think the best films that I've experienced aren't any one genre. They're a, they're a mix of emotions. Like Close Encounters is one of my favorite films, yes. and there's you know there's some great comedic moments in it. There's some great scary, terrifying moments. Some moments really sad it. moments. Very sad moments yeah. in it. And you know, Ed and I, when we were writing uh, Blair Witch, we have some real comedic moments in the beginning of that film. Some great oh, one-liners yeah. and. 
And we knew we had the audience sort of hooked in when they were laughing in the first act, when we knew we'd have them scared in the third. Well, so, you did it really smartly because you you have moments of levity throughout to break that tension. To break the tension, You right. know, the rule is basically, like, if you don't give the audience something to laugh at, they will find something to laugh at. You don't want them laughing at the wrong thing. Right. <laughs> right? right. So... But yeah, and it's it's so the human condition is just complicated, and and I like films that do that and that are a little bit more layered and psychological and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, that's what I sort of appreciate it. And I think films like The Exorcist are very nuanced; they're mm-hmm. very layered. I mean, this is a a story about a, a religious, hardcore religious person that's co- questioning their faith. That's yeah. a, that's a hard topic <laughs> to deal with, right? Very, so, yeah, very cynically, kind of just approaching it, and like. <laughs> What's the point? Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. So Drunk, that's, drinking himself to sleep. Exactly. That's that's ballsy, right? Especially yeah. in those days. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's that. Those are good. Like The Shining. I mean, it's just really good, like in depth storytelling that, you know, has ambiguities in it that studios just don't like today. <laughs> they don't like having any ambiguity. Yeah. God forbid. And the audiences, a lot of audiences don't like ambiguity, right? So. Um, so those are really risky ventures, and and I I don't know. Part of me is just like you want to just leave them in their kind of hallowed state and not try to mess it up. You know, like yeah. if it's Exorcist or redo The Shining, eh, I just would rather not be that guy. So yeah. well, that you know that actually segues really nicely because today what we're talking about is kind of a, a subgenre that has a same exact effect it's it's an onion of a subgenre mm-hmm. there's layers and there's nuances and it is not necessarily defined in one way or another but we're talking about southern gothic films right. today and that's a wide range what what is southern gothic that's that's the question right i mean well webster's dictionary says yeah <laughs> <laughs> dr paul bearer yeah. <laughs> i'll be lurking right um you know it's it is described as a subgenre of gothic fiction in american literature that takes place in the american south but then you go well what is gothic fiction um and there, there obviously there are elements of all of this so we could do the history of gothic fiction but the castle I'll, of Aronto. I'll, no. <laughs> I'll spare us all of that but there are characteristics in gothic fiction and mostly it's macabre or ironic events that kind of examine let's just say the values of the american south um yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of iconography that is sort of indicative of Southern Gothic. What do you think of? Like, what do you see? Well, it's always a Southern Woods motif, right? Moss. Moss. I was going to say, yeah. Oak trees and Swampy, <laughs> Swanee, Louisiana, Bayou yeah. kind of feel. And there's just something inherently creepy, isolating, um, you know, voodoo-y, witchcraft-y, you know, ghostly, folklorish kind of stuff that sort of is infused in that southern, deep south culture that uh, is haunting, you know. And I've always been attracted to that sort of vibe mm-hmm. in that in that uh, spooky space. And it really or- originates a lot of haunting... Everything from swamp gas to, you know, uh, witches are influenced by that sort of southern gothic yeah. feel. And I, I really like it. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, uh, really, it started in literature. I mean, it's a it's a literary kind of start that, that works so strongly in the cinematic form and that narrative, just because obviously it's visual mm-hmm. imager, images. I even think about, it's so funny when I think about Moss, 
this is kind of tangential, but like, uh, you know, Tom McLaughlin's Jason Lives was, yeah. it looks like a Southern Gothic <laughs> film, you know, because right. it's like, that's not New York. It's not Crystal Lake. No. It's got, or New Jersey. It's got moss hanging from the trees, you yeah, know. It's, Spanish moss is so creepy. But I remember my first introduction, really, I would say to like the, just the nature of Southern Gothic was I was in seventh grade. I, I was already reading a lot. I mean, I think I'd read like Lord of the Flies at this point. I was like in fourth grade. I'd read all of this stuff. My English teacher introduced me to Flannery O'Connor's uh, short story, A Good Man is Hard to Find. Mm-hmm. And I, to this day, there is there are very few pieces of fiction like reading that affect me the way that that story, that thing, I swear, it punched me in the dick so hard. I just was like, Wait a minute. What? It's matter of factness in its depiction of horrific events and violence, and it just kind of went on. And now to this day, when I read, I mean, I'm getting chills just talking about it because now as an adult, I read it and I see what it's reflecting, and I see a lot of that. I mean, it's very cynical kind yeah. of thing, and and that reflects you know the decay of its surroundings which is basically what gothic there is, is. It, is a, it is a good decay is a good word and, yeah. there, and there's a sort of sort of like backwardsness or regression yes. that, that you have in that kind of you know everything from deliverance to texas chainsaw massacre you know they're all sort of swimming in that same i'm out of my element and we're we're with a population and a people and a backdrop that sort of st- you know the stasis in time right that yeah. that um is timeless at one at the same time it's you know dated like, dated yeah. and kind of threatening right yeah. you're an outsider and you're automatically vulnerable and that's it's really um but there's also this kind of deep mythology underpinning it all as well that's all i always find fascinating yes yes absolutely i don't know if you guys i mean this is a great excuse too for me to mention one of my favorite authors of all time, uh, the the late Michael McDowell, mm-hmm. who's you know people know him as the screenwriter of Beetlejuice and Nightmare Before Christmas, but before he was that, he was a cheap paperback writer. But he wrote the best cheap paperbacks, including uh, the Amulet, the Elementals, um, the series called Blackwater. Um, the list goes on. He he was a very prolific author and. Um, his books are all Southern Gothic. They're right. all like big, broad characterizations of people in the Deep South. So, yeah. who, but they're witnessing some really horrific shit. And I would just like to mention that to anybody who's listening. If you don't know Michael McDowell, please, for the love of God, go read some of his stuff. This is the only time I'll ever get a chance to do this. That's cool. That's very cool. <laughs> Unless I start a Michael McDowell I'm podcast. I'm next writing week. it down right now. Yeah. Um, so, but other authors in that time were like Flannery uh, O'Connor, like I said. Um, I mean, even Faulkner. Faulkner, of Faulkner, course. Yeah. Hemingway. Yeah. Um, Twain. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Mark Twain, I think, is probably the the precursor, like the start of it, because yeah. he really did that. Tennessee Williams. Yeah. More modern, Joe Lansdale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think probably the movies that we have chosen today. Now, guys, we do have uh, a double bill we have to program for the Drive-In Gods. There are three movies but we can only pick two. I think we should hear some of these films. Chris, what do you have for us today? All right. Well, I will start off with 1998's Pumpkinhead. Afraid raising the dead ain't within my power. Looking for an old woman. 
She lives somewhere in the mountains hereabouts. All she can do is take you straight to hell. You go home and you bury your boy. Some folks will say is how she's got powers. Who are you? Ed Harley. What do you want, Ed Harley? Say it. You're looking for vengeance. Vengeance. Say it. There's no graveyard way back deep in them woods. The thing you're looking for is in there. It was an accident. Directed by Stan Winston, his directorial debut. They, uh, you came, mean 1988. Did I say, what did I say, 98? <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, no, it's because I'm not se- wearing my sequel. damn reading glasses. <laughs> <laughs> the old eyes just aren't quite what they used to be. But anyway, yes, 1988. Yeah. 1988. Stan Winston. Studio came to him and said, hey, we'd like you to build a monster for us. And Stan said, I'll build you a monster or find somebody to build you a monster and I'll direct the damn thing for you, too. He sounds exactly Does that like that. He sounded Stan exactly talk? like okay. that. That's, that's yeah. Stan's younger brother, I think. Yeah. I don't think. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, written by Mark Patrick Caducci and Gary Gerani from a story by Mark Patrick Caducci and Stan Winston and Richard C. Weinman based on a poem by Ed Justin, which I mean, I've, I've read the poem by Ed Justin and everything and aside from like the general tone that it kind of creates and everything it doesn't really mention any of the events that take place within the story itself dude it's because you wrote this thing called pumpkin head and they were like we have to give him credit or he's gonna sue the shit out of us yeah well so did xtc right yes they did but they don't have any good lawyers right that's true (laughs) that's what it comes down to that's always what it comes down to my Uh, lawyer's better the inimitable lance henriksen and John DeKino. I'm Jeff so East. glad you said Henriksen. Every time somebody says Lance Hendrickson, I'm always like, you don't. Sh- you don't know. Well, Please I'm, shut up. I'm a stickler, man. I used to yeah. be a school teacher as well, so getting people's names right was right. always you know a big thing for me. Blance Hendrickson. Yeah, Blance <laughs> Hendrickson. Yes, Rebecca Hendrickson. Uh, John DeKino, who what he was on Sequest, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he was. So he, he was... spent some time locally filming around here too. Jeff yeah. East, who if everybody remembers as the young Clark Kent from Superman. What the, the 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 first movie, the Richard Donner film, the Richard Donner film, yes, oh, kind of. nice. It's like I know I can kick that football. I mean, I can get a touchdown every time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie Remsen, who is the daughter of Burt Remsen, who and, is, uh, yeah, seriously, really, yeah, it's Burt Remsen's daughter. Carrie Remsen is also the the romantic lead of Ghoulies Two. Yes, nice. <laughs> in case nobody's aware of that, <laughs> and the immortal George Buckflower. Yeah. Joel Hoffman. I, now, look, I put Joel Hoffman in here. I, I, he's he his character goes away real quick in the movie, but he is also in. He gives one of my favorite performances in a horror film, in another movie that's <laughs> brilliantly terrible, <laughs> Slumber Party Massacre Two. Two, which, which, yeah, two, which two. is the one. If you don't know, where the killer plays a giant guitar drill, and he's like a heavy metal dude who just solos on this guitar drill. But Joel Hoffman plays the archetype of the the douchebag boyfriend who's always like hey hey, what's going on let's have (laughs) sex and party bros but his performance is so bizarre and in the moment 
And every time I see him in that movie, I'm like, this guy's a genius. Like, why is he not in more stuff? Right. And I didn't even know it was him until we watched Pumpkinhead recently. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's the fucking guy. Yeah. Slumber Party Massacre. <laughs> and he made a big deal out of it. It was like we almost had to stop the movie because like, we were screening it in my backyard. You know, I had the projector out and everything. The weather was nice and everything. So we're watching this. And like, so yeah, we had to pause it. Just Everybody's just like... Brandon, oh my god! Shut oh my god! Up. Oh, who Film cares? Nerd, man. <laughs> Bathroom break. <laughs> Brandon's getting on the soapbox again. <laughs> and Tom Woodruff Jr., who uh, you don't really see his face. You see him in a giant monster makeup, which he does quite a bit. He you know, does he a had, lot. So yeah, he and Alex Gillis, who were the uh, protégés of Stan Winston, and yeah. then later went on to f- uh, form Amalgamated Dynamics, uh, designed the creature, of course, with a lot of Stan's input, and then uh, built it, and as usual, Tom Woodruff gets inside and plays it to the hilt. I think this is his first time doing that. No, Monster Squad, wait, Monster Squad was 87, what? wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, so that's the year before, so... But Gilman, I feel like Pumpkinhead was shot like a lot earlier too, because that movie had some release delay issues. Oh, they tried to be. title the like three different times they were delaying its release. What the hell is Pumpkinhead? What's a Pumpkinhead? <laughs> does, does it have a pumpkin on the head? <laughs> yes, now, is sir. it literally a pumpkin? <laughs> I'm, I'm not con- I'm confused. <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> All right, so the IMDb synopsis for this film says, After a tragic accident, a man conjures up a towering, vengeful demon called Pumpkinhead to destroy a group of unsuspecting teenagers. Yeah. All right, yeah, that's pretty that's much pretty uh, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good night. Thanks. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> no, part of our tradition on this show is that we go through and we find the worst IMDb review of this, and then we just basically tear it apart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, if you can... It, not all the reviews are always good, to, to necessarily. This one is okay. I... I Actually, all three of our movies, the IMDb, the bad reviews, were not really that great. Like, there was nothing too exciting. It's just people being dicks. Right. Um, this one's kind of interesting. there's plenty of them out there. There are no, plenty. Because Blair, Blair certainly has its share of these reviews. <laughs> this movie's, that movie's not scary. It's just standing in the corner. You're like, what? I can't believe this made so much money. Yeah. <laughs> you went and saw it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Three times. That's what we used to say, too. It's like, you know, we'd do a show and somebody would leave the audience like that. Fuck it. We already got their money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> got your seven bucks. <laughs> so this is this review. Uh, the girl from Oz says. Uh, okay. So she's, yeah, she's an Aussie. Great. Says, this movie stinks. <laughs> this movie really sucks. I got. I guess it's no. Nah, you got to do it with like an, an Australian, Australian accent. accent. Shrimp on the barbie. I got it. I got. I, I can't do it Australian. I got it from Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> well, she does say haggis later on in the right. news. I, I got it from Blockbuster with Thank mates you. for a laugh, and it didn't let us down. The movies laugh out loud bad from the cruddy acting to the terrible special effects to the lame names. Haggis. Pumpkinhead, come on. <laughs> this is a really bad movie. The only reason I'm giving it one star is because I can't give it zero. It is never scary as the plot is boring and the gory bits are unconvincing. Okay, blah, 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 blah. Other <laughs> terrible movies shows, e.g. Passions, the, the, soap, the soap opera. opera? <laughs> With that really scary, you know, dwarf in it? Yeah. How do you guys like that comparison? Pumpkinhead and Passions. You can't help but laugh. I could have made better shit in the toilet. <laughs> I don't know. Show us your shit. Yeah. 
<laughs> We're going to need photo Show evidence. Show your shit. Really? Show your shit. I mean, anybody can say your shit is shit, but I need to, I need to We're gonna see We're going to need to see, yeah. yeah. The jury's still out on that one. Right. If you want to have a good laugh, by all means, take a look. Don't expect anything at all except to laugh at some absolute rubbish. I'm not even a fan of that review. It's just so, like, blando, run-of-the-mill, unexciting... But she does take the time to talk about her shit. But there are so many little, like, you know, touchstones within this that, like, you hear told over and over and over again in so many of these bad reviews that come out. If I could give it zero, I would. I I just love, like, there's, there's, you know, some effort put into the review. (laughs) She sat there and typed this out for a while. She spent some time. I really hate this move. Type, 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 type. Shut up. I'm in another room. Shut up. I'm typing a review. (laughs) I'm going to really tell you. Give them a piece of my mind. You think (laughs) she took a second to go, it's it's just like the other crap that I watch on TV, like... Mm. Mm. Young and the Restless. uh, Passions. Uh, Passions. Passions. Yes. Bold and Beautiful. No, Passions. It is. It's Passions. Dark Shadows. (laughs) But well, not- I have to ask, though, since she's the girl from Oz, you know, because she says things like mates and rubbish, so we definitely know that she's from, you know, the bottom half of the world. And, I mean, they're basically a colony of prisoners anyway. <laughs> but I, I have to ask this. Like, when you go to Australia and you flush your toilet, it spins in one direction. So I have to ask, if we take a review like this and bring it north of the equator, does that mean it's a good review? Yes, it's a 10-star film. Okay. okay. Technically, just, yes. That, I, that I, will I, hold up in court. Okay, yes. good. I, that, Depending my, on your attorney, they're really good. Yeah, if you've got a good I attorney. Mean, I've got a strong rationale here. I think you know, the Coriolis effect on right. reviews. Right. Subsection 5 <laughs> in the contract. <laughs> Coriolis effect. And I remember the first time I saw Pumpkinhead. And it, it had been released, I guess, it was probably on HBO. So it was about a year after it had come out. So probably 89, 90, somewhere around there. So I'm 13 years old. And I remember watching it late nights, you know, sitting on the couch. My folks had gone to bed and everything. And you know, it was probably a Friday or Saturday night because you know, I didn't have anything better to do. Yeah. Um, and... Just the tone of the film. I mean, even watching it, you know, we, we screened this just a, a couple of weeks ago again, and it's just, it's a gut-wrenching movie. And I think that's what kind of sticks out for you. It's a, it's a morality tale um, about how revenge will basically destroy everything. You know, by seeking revenge, it's not going to make anything better for you. And if anything, it's going to destroy you as much as those you're seeking revenge upon as well. And um, it'll give you a damn pumpkin head. And yeah. it'll give you a damn pumpkin head. That's a bad, wants a pumpkin bad head. Thing, yeah. That's not good. But, you know, this is one of my, you know, I had seen Lance Henriksen before because I had seen Terminator and Aliens. Uh-huh. So I was, you know, very familiar with his work and everything. I think this is prior to him doing, yeah, it's several years before Millennium and everything. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I knew who he was. So it's like, oh, he's recognizable. And right. me being kind of the nerd that I am, I knew who Stan Winston was, of course. Yeah. And this but, is sort uh, of his heyday, too. Yeah, like, yeah He was like in the, he was in the <clears> power band. This is where he was really going like, I want, because he's always wanted to be a director. He's always wanted to be in charge. Right. So. So he's right. like, let me, because you know, Stan Winston. He did this and then he did Gnome the Norm. A gnome named Norm. <laughs> uh, or Look Upworld. Good. Yeah, it did. It looked the great effects. But, you know, he started out as a, a stand up comedian and then an actor. And he had a hard time getting to where he wanted to be. And then he just kind of fell into makeup effects. And some of his early work, I mean, he... he gargoyles, Gargoyles. Man. He gargoyles. turned Bernie Casey into a gargoyle in a made-for-television film that I think actually that terrified a generation. That right. out of me. It was pretty creepy. Yeah. yeah. And um, that along with, like, what was the movie with Kim Darby? 
uh, with the little monsters. They remade it. Del Toro remade like. Oh, uh, don't open. No, not, not uh, don't look in the dark. Don't open my basement uh, something door. Like that. Yeah, don't my open grandma's the door. in there. Don't grandma's in shitting. Yeah. I was don't. Gonna say, wait, <laughs> Rooster Cogburn isn't that the one Kim Darby? <laughs> I don't. No, no, no. Yeah, not true grit. Um, not true grit. But so. You know, he but he stumbled into that and then ended up doing some Friday the Thirteenth makeups that ironically got rejected. Well, he did the dog makeups in the thing. He did the puppet for the dog, um, just the one puppet, yeah. not not the actual split open puppet. Yeah, mm. just the one that like does this and then like gnaws at itself when it starts spraying. Okay, that's I'm going to keep yeah. doing that. <laughs> the, the beach is this way. <laughs> In case you guys don't know, I've been working out. God, That's a visual. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then he started getting work. He hooked, had the fortune to hook up with Cameron, yeah. which, of course, only went from there and there. Right. But he always wanted to be, you know, the stories about Winston are that he was a larger-than-life guy, yeah. loved being the center of attention, and um, this was a chance for him to show... I mean, he directed Second Unit for Aliens, so yeah. he's always wanted to do it. I'm sorry, Chris, to, to talk about your movie, but... That's fine, Brandon. You know, I'm used to it by now. <laughs> and another thing. We're into our second season, so why should that be any different than the first? <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> Next on Passive Aggressiveness. <laughs> the Passive Aggressive Podcast, starring Brandon Windish. <laughs> Starring Brandon Windish. <laughs> I guess. I like this movie a lot. <laughs> no, it just it was it, it was a formative film for me. I mean, yeah. I, I saw this movie and just how the tale was told and, and you know, the cinematography on it was something that really kind of got to me. So yeah, I mean, it's really you look well, at it yeah, it's good. It's well, yeah, it's well produced. As, yeah. as far as like a Southern Gothic tale, I mean, you look at it and it's like, oh, this is definitely Southern California <laughs> when you look around at everything. But, you know, some of the things that they did on the soundstage, you know, once it gets dark out and everything, so inside the cabin, um, which wasn't that the same cabin from Friday, Friday the 13th? 13th? Part, Part four. four. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's Tommy. That's total nerd the, out. Yeah, yeah, it's the Jarvis cabin. Yeah. 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 But, you know, the things that are happening around the cabin, the stuff in the old deconsecrated church, um, you know, the creature up in the tree with that friggin' whip tail coming down yeah. and everything. Well, there's there's just, a lot you know, of backlit trees, exactly. you know, a lot of that. Like, I don't know if there's moss, if they took the time to cicada like... sound that they have, which I mean, you know, growing up in Florida or Georgia or Louisiana or Texas in particular, too, you know, that area, you know what those cicadas yeah, but, and stuff sound by like. By the way, get ready, guys. Oh, yeah. 17 years, right? We got Brood X is coming out in like what two days? Oh, you're right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. woot. And then they're like, "Don't worry, they can't hurt you." And I'm like, "It's not a matter of being afraid that they'll hurt me. They're disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to have to hear it at the level, the decibel of a jackhammer, guys. Yeah, that's how loud they are. But they do gnaw into your ear and eat away your brains. <laughs> <laughs> Freaked out a whole bunch of people. <laughs> they can't hurt you. They will. They will Sexy. hurt you. Everybody, you need to make sure you see Star Trek Two and Beastmaster <laughs> if you want to have good bug-eating brain films. Yeah. Uh, but I just I I love the look of this film too. It was just something that you know a lot of the lightning machines that they had kind of going on as well, and just you know the shadows that are created, uh, the creature, and also going into the pumpkin patch. That was probably like one of my favorite set pieces in this film is this pumpkin patch after uh, Ed Harley goes out and visits Ed Harley you know, visits the uh, the old witch woman. 
which I mean, growing up in, in Polk County, like I grew up, cause I grew up like out in the sticks and everything, y'all. And we used to have stories out there and them, them hammocks and stuff. And then swampland talking about the witch woman, witch woman. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which, I like, her. Yeah. Later on, we found out that the witch woman was a story that was told by moonshiners to keep kids away from their stills. Yeah. But, um, but and you it know, worked. We, yeah, it did. <laughs> but yeah, we, I grew up being afraid of the witch woman. So, you know, that was kind of a, a trope that I was familiar with and something that kind of connected with me at uh, at a very young age um speaking of that witch woman yeah guys would you yeah Totally. Yeah. Twice. <laughs> okay, yeah. just wanted to make sure. I mean, no one's looking, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. all right. Hey, just, which just woman make... need loving too, all right? <laughs> Maybe we should give you a discount on revenge. <laughs> That's all right, Ed Holly. <laughs> You're getting friends and family prices. <laughs> Don't call me pumpkin head for nothing. <laughs> oh. This has gone. This has taken a very strange Interesting turn. turn. Yeah, That's, yeah, yeah. You're not the first <laughs> person to say that on this show. Wow, this went somewhere. Um, uh, but I, I just, I do. I, I love the look of Pumpkinhead. I love yeah. the feel, and it was just a, another way of visually telling a story that I had not been familiar with, and so it stuck with me. And it scared the shit out of me too. I mean, as a 12, 13 year old kid too, I'm just like, oh my gosh, there's just so many elements in this film that came together just to create a real visceral reaction in me, and that's why it sticks with me. That's why it's one of my favorites it's why i own it on blu-ray mm-hmm. it feels it feels like a haunted house movie too like like not like a haunted house movie but it feels like you know when you go through a haunted house like a local kind of haunted house yeah, and what's coming up next that's yeah, how yeah. that movie has that vibe to me it's right. got like i mean not to take away from the production value because i think it's all there on screen but it has that vibe that for like for me it kind of blurs like i'm aware that what i'm seeing is lighting effects mm-hmm. and i'm aware that what i'm seeing is a, a man in a suit that is a pretty impressive suit and a design and yet it's still and the whole it just especially that back half of the movie has this like vibe of while it's serious subject matter it has kind of and the death is kind of like jesus christ what he does to some of these people is horrific it has this playful quality to it that i really like in, it's a real dreamlike fairy tale kind of feel. Yeah, to it's it. got like it's a very folk dark. horror, like Southern Gothic vibe. I mean, like it really has that that story told. Yeah, America's vibe. Brothers Grimm is kind of there. You go. Yeah, it's I mean, you really you really feel Stan's personality in the movie. Yes, yeah, that's that's like, I think you're describing it right there. Okay, like, this is exactly like his personality. Yeah. Right? It's, it's pretty cool. It, right. It's 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 larger than life. Exactly. It's there. It is absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I love the aspect that that uh, you know Ed Harley is kind of tied to Pumpkinhead Demon. You know, there's a, a huge price he must pay, and that's kind of told to him from the very beginning. And it's still, he chooses to do this. And so, as things progress, you start to notice that you know. Ed's features become dehumanized as where the creature's features start to take on Ed Harley's look. Which is really fucking creepy. Like, I didn't even recognize that until, like, my second or third viewing of the movie that I finally was like, oh, that's scary. And, of course, the ending, and it's like, I don't really want to spoil anything on the ending, but, like, this is a movie also that comes full circle. It's a very cyclical movie where you have this definitive closure to it, but you kind of know where the next iteration can kind of come from. And I'm not talking Blood Wings. I'm just What are you talking? Why not? Let's talk about Pumpkinhead 2. No, 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 no. no. I picked Pumpkinhead 1 for a reason, not Pumpkinhead 2. What about Pumpkinhead 3? No. What about Pumpkinhead 4? No. What? What about Alien versus Pumpkinhead? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Requiem. <laughs> a- a- Alien versus Pumpkinhead Requiem. Sequel. Yeah. What All about, shot what in a, Bulgaria, by the way? What about Passions? <laughs> passion of the Pumpkinhead. Oh my God! Why wasn't Pumpkinhead? Oh my God! On they're passions. flagellating him with his own tail. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so yeah, uh, you know, some driving totals on this. Yeah, um, you get one giant monster, one gnarled winch. You get an impalement with a rifle, which is pretty awesome. Mm. Uh, you get kid death, which, I don't know, I kind of slowly throw out. Being a father now, this hits me in a completely different place. I remember how shocking it was the first time that I saw it. Lance's anything. performance in that scene is so good. Well, his performance with the kid prior to that, establishing the relationship between father yeah. and son. Yes, their relationship that is that particular moment all the more tragic and then everything that he does prior to burying the child too is just so heart-wrenching you but know? isn't there like a th- i remember because when we watched it last i remember i was like really affected by um i feel like there, there was like one or two of the characters of the the teenagers that hit him that hit the kid mm-hmm. the, they were playing it at like a 10 they like they had this like peak performance where they were up really big but it was so it, it wasn't overwrought. They like literally. It felt real, and I just the, the terror of and realization. I don't know if that actor or actress is like method. Do you remember what I'm talking yeah. about? And it just added to this. It's like when everybody else bails out, and there's just the two kids that wind up staying with the kid. Yes. to kind of tell the dad what happened, and the way they're trying to tell him, and how he just won't hear it, mm-hmm. and just takes it. Like well, the look that he gives them too is just dude. That that whole sequence is chilling. really emotionally effective. Yeah. Um, I, and it really does help with the you know ridiculousness it sets everything else up yeah really it does i mean you you have the stakes are as high as they could possibly be and then you know it's all you know just becomes it gets exceeded from there it's 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 amazing i think it's really really good filmmaking uh it shows that stan had a really good command of what he needed the elements within storytelling to really elevate people's emotions and everything um yeah it's good direction yeah yeah it is just amazing i really wish he had gotten a chance to do something else other than a gnome named norm with anthony michael hall right well yeah which you know is what it is yeah um, I, hey, I didn't get directed a movie named The Gnome Named Norm, so uh, <laughs> that's where we are. <laughs> now, Dan, isn't it true you were offered uh, A Gnome Named Norm 2? I, I, I couldn't pronounce it correctly, okay. so that's, they, they kicked me out of the office. They were like, the you're not. Was like, it was Say like, that three times real fast. <laughs> no, no, don't. Gnome, 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 you know, unique Gnome, Gnome. You know that story about, uh, I forget now who it was, who the director was that they hired for Jaws initially, the, one of the first directors they brought on, and the whole, that you know that story, the whole presentation, he's referring to the shark as a Whale. It's a whale. <laughs> they were like, get this guy the fuck what out of here. The I love well, that they let know, him do the whole presentation. Ironically, about, you know, the yeah, director yeah. of Orca kept calling it a fish. Yeah. That's it's hilarious. It's not. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Big fish. Actually, yeah. oh, I know who that director's name was. This is true, for real. His name was Dick Richards. What a name. Clever parents. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet they had a great relationship with them, too. Yeah. <laughs> so any other great drive-in totals on this one? Yeah. Uh, spine ripping? There's spine ripping in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, headshots. Suicide. Dead bodies being buried. I think that's just about it. Yeah, that's really yeah. it, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds right. Major laceration. No, you get a pitchfork in the arm. That's you get a, true. Yes. Yeah, a bullet that's to the head. Yes. That's all good stuff. You get a, a a tail through the body. 
right? Doesn't that happen? Does bishop it, style. Uh, yeah, there's bishop the irony style. on that one, too. It's like, wow, <laughs> the creature just stuck a tail through somebody. I think I've seen this before. James Cameron was like, fucking Stan. <laughs> God damn it. He's stealing Last his own I ideas from my... Yeah. God. Okay, so... That's our first movie, a great representation of the Southern Gothic aesthetic, especially uh, visually. It's all there. Hillbillies. It really hits that nail on the head. Um, we got another movie that we should think about or talk about, and that is our guest's choice. So I'll let Dan take it away. All righty. Uh, my choice is The Legend of Boggy Creek. Here in this primitive river-bottom wilderness in southern Arkansas, along with deer, duck, crane, and beaver, lurks a creature that walks upright. Whether it is a man, a monster, or a myth, no one really knows. What we do know is the people around Falk, Arkansas, say they have seen such a creature nearly 250 times since 1954. And that this creature, whatever it is, emits one of the most terrifying sounds ever recorded. Director Charles B. Pierce, writer Earl E. Smith, starring Chuck Pierce Jr., Willie E. Smith, Vern Steyerman, Travis Crabtree, as his own self, self. introducing the denizens of Falk, Arkansas. Yeah, who all play themselves. All play themselves, which is what I like. And uh, the IMDb synopsis, a documentary-style drama about the Falk monster, a Bigfoot-type creature that has been sighted in and around Falk, Arkansas since the 1950s. All right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. uh, One of my favorite films growing up, actually, I saw it when it first came out at the Trail Drive-In in Bradenton. Wow. uh, When I was just a kid. And uh, it was definitely one of the inspirational influences for Blair Witch later on. Gotta love those drive-ins in Manatee County, too. (laughs) I know. And uh, I remember, too, distinctively, they had a kind of red and white striped fence as you drove in. And we had, like... And it was all hidden behind the fence, and it was movie night, right? We'd go in behind the fence. Like, here we are. There's the screen. You know, was, <laughs> the big reveal was always that's cool. That's the best part of the drive-ins. Yeah. Driving that's, through. That's the yes. of it. Yeah. And that's why I'm so happy drive-ins are making a comeback. Because, yeah. I mean, it, the experience doesn't begin, you know, when the trailers end. You know, right. It's just It's it, all it before. From your approach, yeah, you know, yeah, looking at the marquees if they have them out there and everything, I know. and th- and there's just the scale of the screen, right? It's just this big, it's so big, kind of yes. huge screen out there. And the, back in those days, they even had like a playground underneath the screen. Yeah. So if you got a little bored, you could go run around, run and around, and muck about. It was great. I mean, it's you know, and you're under the stars too. So what's there's not nothing to like? better? Yeah. There's nothing better. Yeah, no. this literally was a drive-in film for you. Literally was, yeah, and it. And it had a huge effect. I mean, we were talking earlier about how certain movies come at certain times in your life and they have a real huge impact on you. And, and I, you know, at that age, 
I'm taking it at face value. Like this is like a documentary, you know, they're, you know, and back in the seventies, Bigfoot and UFOs and all that stuff were in the zeitgeist. Right. So this is sort of like newsreel documentary. There's actual interviewees and they're giving testimonials. And so I'm buying into all of that, that. whole narration of recreation. Oh yeah. And that like- opening shot of going down the bayou and you're you know, cruising through those spooky swamps and seeing those otters. Oh my God. And then, you know, of course the sunset yeah. down behind the kind of the, 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 the swamp and you hear that call of the, what you presume is is the Falk monster, which is the most haunting piece of sound design ever. Really creepy. Oh, my God. So, yeah, there was just so many moments in that film that had an impact on me as a kid um, that resonate to this day. They really did. And, and I remember Ed and I talking about that film, saying we need, we want to we evoke that same feeling in our audience with Blair. Um, sort of that really pure like fresh scare i mean a real kind of primal scare it's interesting I, well uh the final version the legend of boggy creek feels to me like it might have very well been the movie that heather and blair witch was trying to make i mean you could probably plug and plop it right in over yeah. that her her film because that was sort of we had a film within a film on blair right yeah so she's she's got this sort of pretentious like uh, you know intention of of doing this movie about the Blair mythology, right? And she's got herself in front of the camera doing her whole... Talking like a news reporter. Exactly, yeah. you know, you know, kind of a Earl Morris wannabe maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Sure, so sure. she's doing her thing. And, and But yeah, you could could have been her movie. I wouldn't have yeah. put it past her if yeah. at one point if what happened to her hadn't happened that she would have found a way to like fake it too a little bit and put some like monster in there somewhere where she yeah, could. Yeah, like... yeah. I mean, I mean she, I, she wasn't going to go out there and not come back with something. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Meanwhile, somewhere David Mamet is listening to this going, like, what the fuck? Now there is no character. She wouldn't have done that. <laughs> right. Come on, David. Lighten it's up. It's just words on a page. Lighten up. Lighten up, Dave. Come on, man. Stop being so mad. Stop being so angry and manly. And yes, I know you could kick my ass, but yeah. it's, you know. Right. I do challenge you to a fight right now, Dave Mamet. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it does. I, I mean, I see those direct parallels to your film and to, and, and to this. What Blair Witch does that's kind of of that time, like you were saying earlier, in that time period is it gets even more meta with it. Because in a way, you know, Legend of Bog Creek is a pretty meta movie when you think about it, right? right? And right. I mean, it's self-aware. It knows that uh, what it's doing, it's commenta- commenting on something. It's using real people and, and they're talking about their actual experiences or what at least they think are their experiences. Yeah, and then and recreating it at recreating, some point. Yeah, they have really good dramatizations in Firing there. Firing guns. Exactly, Like yeah. they would have done at the time or claimed to have done. Yeah, yeah. But, but it keeps that narrative going the whole th- way through, whereas, you know, your film actually then begins to deconstruct it completely. It's like it stops dead in the middle of the movie and then goes, and then it's real. Right. And, you know, the rest of the shit happens and you're like, oh, the movie will never be finished that she was trying to make because this thing really came out and probably got that. Right. I mean, that's that's the thing is and I think one of the uh, one of the essences I, you know, if you want to call it that Ed and I were trying to capture is that that documentary format where you're not sure what's real or what's, you know, even if it's a dramatization, knowing that it's referencing a real event works in a different part of a, your brain than a, just a complete made up narrative. Right. There's just a different 
I don't know, response. People engage the material much differently. Differently, yeah. right? Yeah. So we wanted to try to capture what films like Boggy Creek captured for us. If I just When you see a documentary, when you see something that you know is real or representing something that really happened, it just has a different effect on you. Yeah, and you you know, to that point, you can always usually tell when a documentary is like a mockumentary. Like, you can always usually get that vibe. And I think right. it's because it's really hard to... Um, improvise cleanly and naturally that way without when you when you know you've got an outline you have to hit these beats right your interviews kind of tend to be less naturalistic and realistic but both Blair Witch and Boggy Creek don't have that vibe like it actually feels I mean you got these real toothless denizens in there talking <laughs> exactly you know? yeah and that's I think that's one of the brilliance behind behind Pierce's approach. I mean, the, the notion of using the real people and using their real interviews as part of your narrative, of your fictional narrative, is brilliant. Yeah. I, thought, I just thought that was a brilliant way to convey... They did half the work for you already. I know. And, well, and, and, and again, if you're trying to convey this sense of authenticity, you're really better off getting the real people. Mm-hmm. You know? It's tough yes. to find an actor that can play the real people, just get the real people and let them, you know be a component to your overall narrative and that's what he did so well well you said you know you were talking about jaws earlier and you know jaws was brilliant in that it cast its regionally cast regionally it cast locally yeah. for a lot of those roles you know richard dreyfus was living no <laughs> but like all those periphery characters peripheral characters are there yeah right but it adds that real new england vibe to it that is necessary to sell your story right and I, I love that it has that that actual vibe because it makes it feel really fucking creepy. It does. It, it, that, especially for horror, I think that sense of realism um, really adds to the creep factor. Yeah. Because there's 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 a certain safety net, I think, with the with, with when you know you're watching a narrative film and. There's always a safety net there. It's you know it's just a movie. You can always tell yourself it's just a movie. But when there's some element of realism, you know, if you're, even though you're not sure what it is, like how much of this is true or not, it gets you. That blurred line that is blurred line. very effective. Yeah, yeah. Kind of tangential here, but have you ever seen a movie called Lake Mungo? No, but I was told to watch it. Yeah, you meant it's funny you bring it up because someone a couple of months ago you need to watch Lake Mungo. So I wrote it down on my on my I, my iPhone to check that out. Yeah, it's on Prime right now. Yeah. They finally put it back on that's Prime. Where I saw yeah. it. Okay. But uh, you know that's like one of the very few movies that I have ever seen that does it's it's straight documentary. Like right. it doesn't. They're all talking heads. They're all talking to the camera. There's no reconstruction of stuff there are dramatizations it's all like purported to be like here and it is the most believable the performances that's always what it comes down to is are the performances real and usually you can always see an actor has to act sad you can you you get you can sense it i mean like you see you know an interview in front of walmart of how good their shopping experience was it's obviously an actor they're just too well put together and they're saying the right thing at the right time and a lot of those cues, too, even unconsciously come with where the camera might be pointing. I mean, it's like too con- it gets us the action too conveniently, right? Or, so there's a lot of those techniques that, um, that improv- improvise performance, improvise filmmaking. We call it method filmmaking. Yeah. That, that really lends itself to giving that sort of sense of realism. Cinema verite. Cinema verite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is still like where a lot of sort of the low-budget uh, – 
you know, flaws that you see in any narrative films are sort of working in our favor, right? You know, in in Blair Witch. But I think Pierce really did a great job at embracing that as well. And um, and again, back in those days, especially that film look, when you look back at it now, it just had that gritty spooky vibe to it that that i kind of miss so uh, you know and it really does it's interesting because like we you know i think for years the only thing anybody had ever seen was the the four three you know pan and scan i don't know if it was pan and scan but like cropped version of the film right i I don't think people know this fucking legend of boggy creek was shot with anamorphic lenses it was shot in Panavision, yeah, which no. is like now he was a he was a straight up filmmaker. He uh, was like, yeah, yeah and and, when, and so when I like last night I rewatched it and I got that version, that restored version of right. it, and I was blown away by how yeah the composition is amazing. There's now. a shot where his son's run at the beginning, running across this wheat field. Yeah, it's pretty beautiful. It's shot. beautiful, yeah. and it kind of reminded me of another movie called. Um, the Reflecting Skin, which is like a pretty obscure but American gothic film by a British director named Philip Ridley, who's a playwright. And it's got that same kind of like Americana vibe, right? but with a weird bend on it. And that's how this movie feels, too. It's like this kid's running for forever through this cornfield or wheat field. It gets to this guy, and the guy's like, get the fuck, go home. Yeah, go home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's come up three days to tell me that there's a monster at his house. Yeah. You know, and you're like, it's it's kind of surreal. But it, it so captures that sort of Arkansas backcountry vibe. Yeah. Right? So, and it's, so there's something in the details and the richness of it. and um, But it is beautifully shot. It's really, Surprisingly yeah, beautiful Yeah, a lot of shot. atmospherics in it that are that are left to breathe. Yeah. They're, they're, and especially in the restoration Pamela, his his daughter, mm-hmm. you know, did a 4K restoration of it, which looks really good, and it was cool to see that. I sort gotta of see it in 4K now. Yeah, you do. It's <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Now, and the you... sound's been re- tweaked and everything. And it sounds great. It yeah. sounds spooky. And so the can... songs are even better. Oh yeah, the ballad of Kravis Crabtree <laughs> is better than it's ever sounded. It's, it's gorgeous. Did you ever get a chance to meet Charles Pierce? No, 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 I didn't. No, unfortunately, not. But, I mean, you know. really, a true. We'll talk about him a little bit more in a minute, but like, just true definition of independent filmmaker absolutely and yeah. um i feel like he probably would have been a recipient of a cassavetes award too probably, you know yeah because he he did it low budget man I yeah mean, he went out there and begged borrowed and stole and did everything he needed to do to get the movie made and it was including uh, casting the locals yeah. to get it done i mean uh, i know that technique you just go hey you want to be in a movie and i get to use your town i yeah. mean tell us your story yeah yeah, yeah absolutely it's a it, it's a surprisingly effective film and some of those scares man are are the best are great yeah. well, when you think about all the, like the bigfoot sasquatch movies that are out there and everything i mean this one holds a pretty high place in the pantheon it does because i was why i'm going like what's a better movie i mean like what's a better one like i don't really know i'm hammers the abominable snowman of the himalayas is it better no, it's completely. Oh, okay. Movie. No, no. The pa- the Patterson video, maybe. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's actual. That's oh, not the a, actual. That's the, not the a, actual yeah. Video? I mean, that's about yeah. the only way it kind of rivals the scare and the spookiness. But, but as far as a straight up film, a movie, you know, that sort of that uh, it's it's hard. I mean, it was really the only thing. I mean, there were there were you know pseudo documentaries or yeah. television shows about it or what have you. But as far as a movie, where you went out to the theater and or the driving and that was it yeah there just wasn't there wasn't anything else and um but but man i mean i know speaking for myself but also my friends that saw it too we that's all we talked about for you know 
months. Well, so. Being a child of the 80s and definitely like the video generation, too, because, I mean, I, I was born in the late 70s, so I didn't see this movie until mm-hmm. I remember going to like a national video and seeing the cover box, you know, <sighs> which is that, you know, shadowy kind of figure, yep. on, you know, in the swamp and everything. <clears throat> and you know, just that image alone from the cover box was enough to, like, scare me. And, of course, I mean, I'd read the back and everything. Yeah. I don't even remember the first time I saw the Is movie. that not one of the best art pieces ever created? It's you know evocative. Who, you know yeah. who did it, guys? Yeah, it's Drew Struzan? N- close. <laughs> Ralph a, McQuarrie. Yeah, no Ralph, shit. Yeah, Ralph yep. McQuarrie. And I think they had him... If I'm not mistaken, I think they had him involved with the remake as well. Oh wow! Um, but yeah, I could be I could be wrong. Pamela was telling me something about where they were either licensing it or doing something with 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 Macquarie on the artwork. You, if you look up Legend of Boggy Creek, you know your name is like attached to this movie. You've <laughs> talked about your in, its influence on you. Yeah, it had a huge influence on us. And and I know Pamela. She's like a friend on Facebook, and she reached out to me and said, "Would you give us a quote on because we're doing the re the remastering yeah. and all that?" And I said, "Of course, yeah, absolutely." <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's it's just one, again, it, it hit me at the right time in my life and had a huge effect um, on not only myself, but, you know, a lot of kids my age. But it was unique in the sense that it just took that sort of documentary approach to telling a narrative, scary movie. And, you know, I mean, there was like Cannibal Holocaust in the, it's I think, is the 70s, footage. found footage film, yeah. Man Bites Dog, you know, yeah. later on. Um, but in that genre and that had the most influence on us, it was definitely that. That was one of the, you know, outside of TV shows like In Search of and Ancient Astronauts that were sort of the big in those days, but that was definitely the big one. I really do feel like they're like spiritual, you know, like Blair Witch is a spiritual successor of that film. Kind of is. And, and yeah. just, it, but just what I love is just like, again, like that deconstruction though of it where it's, which is a very, and I don't mean this in a, in a way it makes it sound dated, <laughs> but like a very 90s thing to do, like postmodern kind of thing to do, right? Where you go, a lot of films in that era were starting to deconstruct because there were young filmmakers like yourself up and coming who were going, let's like man bikes dog is a great example yeah, of that. Where yeah. it's like, let's just deconstruct what we think a documentary would be. Right. And what you did with Blair Witch, let's deconstruct the like boggy Creek and just say, and I think really... you do it almost unconsciously. I think we're all as artists. Yes. I mean, we're all influenced by everybody's work and we like to think we're original, but in reality, we're just, we're reflecting what we see and what we've grown up with. Right. Yeah. And so even when you've got your finished product and someone comes along that's smarter than you, that can deconstruct what you've done and say, you know, this reminds me of so-and-so and so-and-so. I go, Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Never thought of it like that. You know, I was just trying to get my day. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I watched I watched Planet of the Apes, the original Planet of the Apes, you know, a few years ago, and where they come upon the stick men, the, those icons across. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if I got stick men from that. Right. You know, right. Because yeah. just reveal like, oh shit, yeah. Uh, that, but it's part of just like we said, it becomes an emotional part of your. The, it's like language. Right. It just becomes. You don't know where you learned the word the. Yeah. It's just the word you it use all the time. It becomes arbitrary at one point. You internalize it so much that it's arbitrary. Yeah. So, you know, you just We're all influencing each other. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's what's <laughs> wonderful about the form, the art form, yeah. is that we can't all claim, you know, total autonomy. I mean, we're we're in this this kind of collective consciousness, right? We're right. all sharing ideas. We're all sharing experiences. And that's what makes it so wonderful that we can all kind of find these kind of connective tissue with all these movies. And and I'm no different. So yeah. um, I'd like to claim that I invented the found footage genre. <laughs> Here's how we did it. No, but it's, And then I was, was put on trial because I thought I'd killed all the actors. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, like Diodato himself, right? Exactly, yeah. 
Did but, you? Well, you said the one guy, the cop called you, but do you know about that story? The Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, director yeah, yeah. Go, no, like, no, they were. He had to prove that he didn't. He didn't actually kill the actor. Yeah, so it's like, fake, guys. <laughs> well, you see this porn it looks film good, right though. here. It looks pretty Same good. Actor. It does. Yeah, yeah it does. It, it looks does. good. <laughs> Um, do you have what? Can you give us some uh, some dead city tallies? Some things that make it feel so drive in essential. Uh, well, definitely when the that guy comes across the that sort of silhouetted image of the monster in the woods. That first scare. That, that the first, first scare time. That's is like fifteen minutes of languid, just like a travelogue, and it completely catches you off guard. Yes, and that camera pans over, you're like, oh, so that is one of the best jump scares. In all of cinema, very effective, it's really effective. The hand smashing through the window in the in the in the uh, the trailer scene. I yes. mean, talk about! I think the cars themselves jumped uh, <laughs> at the drive-in. I, I did last night. Oh my gosh, it's such a great moment. And More again, so than the scene where the guy in real time starts taking a shit and like looks through the window and sees it. <laughs> right. you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You better wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's interesting. I think, too, a part of the reason you never see – you briefly see its face. Um, briefly, and yeah. I noticed that because of the transfer, the restoration. Right. And it's clear that it's just like a gorilla mask. Yeah. I mean, there's no budget there. <laughs> right. But it's barely it's barely seen. It doesn't matter. The majority right. of the movie is this thing in silhouette. Yeah. Very effective. And I think that's one of the reasons why any of the, like, um, cryptid – Sub, uh, Sasquatch Bigfoot movies subsequent don't really work as well as because they want to show that monster's face. Well, the minute you open up that Pandora's box, right, you're obligated to right now compete with the Stan Winston's of the world, right? Yeah, so with Pumpkinhead, like, right? I, I know. So you're like, um, like us with Blair, it's probably best to just leave it to the imagination of the audience because you're not going to ever be as good as that. Yeah. And I think those limitations, those budget limitations that that Charles Pierce had worked to his advantage. I mean, just the sounds of the swamp, the sounds of that monster in yes. the distance, your imagination runs wild with that. And yeah. now suddenly somebody with a shotgun walking through the woods is like, oh, my God, there's so much tension, right? Because that thing's dancing in your head. Yep. And that's it was really effective in that in that regard. So I love that. I love that. You know, it's actually now that I'm this uh, thinking about it, you, uh, the fact that we never see Blair, the Blair Witch in your film, but they did. McFarlane Toys put yeah, out that we were like, oh, so this is what she looks. This like. is I, right. Oh, okay, she looks like um, as good as a, anything a, I would have come a up skeleton, with. I think is what it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember that thing like, but just the fact that McFarlane took the time to do that. That's we're pretty like, rad, it's, man. It's pretty damn cool. I mean, to have an action figure like that is incredible. In right. addition to like the video game, all that cool. It's like that's super. Or we were in Mad Magazine. That was like the pinnacle for me. Right? It's like, man, we're in Mad Magazine. Yes, you know, that was all. Awesome. That's how you know. That's <laughs> you how you know. You're in. Wait, what was the Mad's parody? Do you remember what it was? I was called My Luck. Okay. Dan Myluck and and Ed Saychees. And okay. so it was so they took like some of the big moments of the movie and of course they parody him. And, what was the movie? Right. Do you remember the movie's parody was cuz how many movie parody titles are there? Some, like billions? I don't remember. I don't remember, but I just know that you know, the artwork and all there we are, yes. right? And that was pretty cool. And I, I um and of course I never lived down Myluck. That was Oh really? Yeah, that, that, that sort of became my nickname. That's, for a that's while, not so. a bad one. Though. I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take it. I was in Mad Magazine, so yeah. I'll take it. Whatever. So yeah. Also, I was thinking about. I wonder if this is a, it's a uh, unconscious um, thing, but you know, in the timeline for Blair Witch, where they talk about the arm that comes, out, or or is it no? It's the is it when the woman's talking about how she saw the hairy 
the witch was hairy. Oh yeah, the horse, the horse lady. Yes, you're talking about the horse lady. Yeah, Ooh, that feels like a Boggy Creek thing too. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Like, well, I mean, the, the wooden... hairy monsters in the woods, like that's terrifying. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is that again, we talk about all that connectivity. I mean, you look at all these sort of folklore and mythologies, and yeah. you know, witchcraft and you know, hairy monsters in the woods and all that. There's a lot of overlap there, and, right. and we were wanted to sort of like play with all that overlap and. The Mary Brown story, is she just a crazy old lady that saw a bear? Right. Or? Was she had a few too many when she was out scouting around in the woods? Or did she really see something that she's describing? I love the ambiguity. And it just comes across as creepy. So yes. you lay that pipe early on in the movie, and then suddenly now you're thinking, horse. what, what is this horse lady that we just heard about now that we're walking in the woods? Right. What is she going to look like? Like, what What does that even mean? Like, yeah. what, what's the concept there? I love that. That's like such a... Yeah, and Patty Deco, who played the who played the role, is actually that's her real name, and that's again an example of a real person that really lived there. And we just gave her, you know, uh, sort of a breakdown of what to talk about. Yeah. So she mixed in a little bit of of her own thing in there, and that was it. Just comes across so authentic, you know. And she did a great job for us. She also has worked on the art des- production design too. She helped kind of. Um, Help Ben Rock kind of dress the house in the end. So oh, cool! She, she worked on the crew. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, Dan, did you did you do Curse of the Blair Witch? Yeah, we directed, um, and uh, we we Ben Rock was also involved with that. So Ed, myself, and Ben were the primary driving okay. on Curse, which was the fault was sort of all the stuff about Blair. Because dude, that is another like work of art to me. I think that that I always I always watch that and the movie back to back because yeah. it's it's so much more effective and creepy for me like it was it, it gave us an opportunity to kind of dig into all the stuff in the backstory of Blair Witch that we went and shot right and that and if you and it came out two weeks prior to the movie I remember so you could watch that backstory and then see the film itself so it was a good one-two punch I thought it was and I love clever. the 70s warlock dude that, it's like, that it's was funny so spot on <laughs> it's so perfect it's all right any more what are, any other drive-in totals for you um, I Dead think, City yeah. Tallies. I don't think we did the worst review on this one. Eh, it's not a very good one. It's not very good. It's not really worth talking about. Yeah, but I do love the headline. Possibly the best cover art of any movie. That's anywhere, true. Anytime. That is a good one. This is a one star <laughs> review, by the way. You would think they would at least give it two stars with that headline. I know. The cover of The Legend of Boggy Creek is breathtaking. One I mean, star. Really? <laughs> That's at least three stars. Yeah. The, he, he, this person just shits all over the movie. And again, it doesn't. He says something. Like they're currently they're currently working on a sequel to this film entitled The Legend of the Cover Art of The Legend of Boggy Creek. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that one. If the cover art will be anything like that of the original legend. What a dickhead. Yeah. Just watch, just watch the movie and shut up. Come on. Or just look at the cover art. Yeah. And shut up. I mean, we took the time to write that review I after, mean, like... Just stare at the cover art for an hour and a half. And you're good. Give it a review. God knows I used to do I this. It. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, all those... And you and I talk about this all the time. It's just all the cover barks are from the 80s. Oh, my just God. Just stuff. I mean, Boggy Creek was one of them. Yeah, yeah. Fulci Zombie. That one scared one the shit just, out of me. It's alive, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's alive. Yeah, yeah. Oh, in the, ba- in the, in the carriage the with the... Net, and yeah. a little hand coming over the corner. Oh, so creepy. Yeah. Squirm, yeah. Frogs. Frogs, yeah, that frogs. with the arm hanging yeah, out of the, the frog's, frog's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> was, was that, that, that was shot in Florida, too. Yeah. That was another Florida shot. I did not know um, that. Original Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, yeah up north, because, um, uh, yeah, that plantation. Well, I guess, there are frogs up there. Yeah, 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 so there are frogs in Florida, so... <laughs> 
I guess we didn't talk a whole lot about the Southern Gothic nature of it, but it really is. It's it's evoked in like every image, basically. Yeah, of, deep. I mean, yeah. it's just there. Nice Black thing, yeah. lipstick, long frizzy hair, <laughs> Doc Martens, and fishnets. All right, right. that's all you got to know. No, that's that's mall gothic. Yeah, <laughs> that is. That's the hot topic goth. That was my that was my first girlfriend, by the way, at the time that I saw Blair Witch. There you go. Yeah. No, definitely deep in the Southern gothic sort of vibe you know and yeah. again we were talking earlier about how those woods and, and that atmosphere is is in those uh, accents in those accents but oh it, those arkansas accents oh, are yeah. incredible yeah and it's a, it's a character in and of itself right that's yeah. whole kind of that that you're no longer actually you are in kansas you know i mean it's like you are in, <laughs> yeah right, right i did not have sexual relations with that swamp monster <laughs> Well, I always sure? I, <laughs> I did give it a cigar. You're right. I, I always wondered, um, like, th- there's the like the really old hermit that uh, I think is it Travis Crabtree goes and yeah. gives him like a like a dead armadillo or something. Right. He like rubs its belly. And, yeah, it's which, pretty creepy. Yeah, but the guy is like rolls up his his tobacco and smoking mm. it, and it's like extreme close up of him, like, yeah, smoking it all the way down to the end. But the voiceover. They never show the guy talking, but it's this whoever's talking has like this, like almost impossible Arkansas, you know, yeah. accent, thick, that thick yeah. regional yeah. accent. And I've always wondered, like, again, this is the blurring of the lines. Is that an actor or is that actually that dude voicing over? Like, that happens throughout the whole movie. Yeah, like, that's, yeah. There are so many of what he used were actual. You know, residents of the area because the foul monster thing is a real deal. Yes, that's real Arkansas. So he was tapping into an actual mythology and using real accounts and real testimonials from the area. So, so there's, I mean, again, like we created our whole myth, myth, our whole Blair mythology back in the day. But you know, our logic was well, all mythology technically is sort of made up right sure I mean, there it may be there may be some elements of truth or someone thought they saw something that was real that the mythology or legend has has kind of sprung from but um but yeah he was reporting on what was a big deal of the day the fog monster and it's to this day it's still this, people still think it's lingering out there you yeah know, roman roman backyards and, stuff and then there's like the bray road beast yeah, well, that actually ties in with with the next choice of film, which I guess let's go ahead and get into. My my pick is um, another Charles B. Pierce classic. You yeah. unoriginal fucking bastard. <laughs> so now you just totally shut me out. We're going to have a Pierce double feature. Thanks, Brandon. Once again. God Dynamite. damn <laughs> The film is The Town That Dreaded Sundown. World War II had just ended. In Texarkana, Arkansas, boys had come home to their families. Husbands reunited with their wives. It was a happy, peaceful time. Until the phantom killer struck. For four months, he held an entire city in the icy grip of terror. Now, Charles B. Pierce brings this incredible, shocking, and true story to the screen in... The town that dreaded sundown. <laughs> the town that dreaded sundown. A true story. This is Charles B. Pierce operating at 
almost peak level of, of skill. He had made, this is 1976, so he had made several films in the interim. I mean, uh, uh, Boggy Creek was a, I don't know, what, $500,000 movie maybe? Something like that? Yeah, it was it, pretty cheap. Very low budget, <laughs> yeah. grossing over $20 million in driving screens. So he... Which was huge. I can't I mean, even imagine. I can't that's even fathom. I mean, that is that's a lot of money. Yeah. And you know how much did did Chuck get? Like, I I can't imagine. Yeah. You know how those numbers work. But yeah. it's just one of those. Th- anyway, he made several movies um, after Boggy Creek. Not really genre films or, or horror films. They were kind of like adventure dramas. Um, and then he returned to his roots, so to speak, with... In Texarkana. With 1976's Town Dreaded Sundown. Uh, same writer, Earl E. Smith. But this time he had Much some... Much better actor. He had some money on, <laughs> to spend on a cast. Some swinging dicks, as That's we like right, to say. That's right, including <laughs> Ben... Marianne. Ben, ben Johnson, <laughs> uh, Andrew Prine, Don Wells, Don Wells. and returning... <laughs> Vern Stearman, Stearman. Uh, as the narrator, who this time goes even less. He it's less of a performance in a in Boggy Creek. He does this like, and the way that the residents felt. Well, they like just it's just like he's he's like acting. Whereas Town of the Dreaded Sundown, it's as matter of fact as it gets. Right after the World War Two, you know, it's just it, there's no real affectation to his his voice. It's just cold delivery warm actually his voice is very warm but delivery that just like is very matter of fact he always reminds me what's is it the same guy that does like what's that paul uh hardcastle song 19 where it's just the the he actually pulled it the lyrics and stuff from a documentary about uh teenagers getting sent off to vietnam and everything yeah i remember that song after it and stuff like that i'm trying to remember who because the voice sounds exactly the same to me right was that Vern Stearman? Yeah. Um, I mean, did I, he have a, a regular career as a voiceover? No, he only did two films. Oh, okay. The there Boggy we go. Creek and Town That okay. Dreaded Sunday. There you go. Wow, that's crazy. Died in Shreveport. Wow, kind of oh, nuts. God, if you're going to die, why die in Shreveport? Um, oh, he was the weatherman for the Texarkana Shreveport NBC affiliate. Oh, so he has that voice. Yeah. That's Got where that, that comes from. Yep. That's incredible. That's so what is The Town That Dreaded Sundown? Well, the IMDb synopsis says it is the story of a hooded berserk killer who terrorized the border town of Texarkana, Arkansas yeah, in Jason Voorhees, right? 1946, <laughs> leaving no fewer than five murder victims in his wake. He was never caught. Based on one of America's most baffling murder cases. <laughs> um is it a real story? Is it not? This is kind of this is even more blurring that line, right? Yeah, which again, he's like you say, he's getting back to his roots sort yeah. of on this, and that's uh, it's just a fun space to play in because it, yeah. you, you get you you the audience's imagination does a lot of the work for you, especially if it's based on some kind of loose history or folklore or boogeyman that's always been talked about. That's that's a great kind of starting point for and, a movie. And this one was inspired by a string of, of murders that were happening in this small town that nobody was really sure what the hell was going on and um, still to this, yeah, left unsolved. Yeah. Everybody's perplexed. Um, so it's just pulling on that fear and, and kind of running with it. And it's like a campfire story. It right? really yeah. is. Well, isn't yeah. wasn't this like also one of the things that Toby Hooper kind of threw into the melting pot besides Ed Gein 
for making Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised, man. I wouldn't man. be surprised, yeah, because, yeah. I mean, this, what a lot of people it's don't realize. <laughs> yeah, but it, this style and this this sort of approach <clears throat> really influenced a lot of filmmakers later on. And I, I and I know I, I, it's sad because I don't think Pierce gets enough credit for it. Yeah, and unfortunately. Think, yeah, and I think, like, his daughter Pamela is really trying to kind of, like, resurrect his name and resurrect what he really did and contribute. And I think a lot of filmmakers, I should say, I know some filmmakers that are like, Oh yeah, I remember Legend of Boggy Creek. And yeah. you know, so that, that, that style, that sort of factor fiction style was really effective. And again, in that Southern Gothic tone, it was really, yeah. You know, I mean, he nailed well. it. I, well, let's yeah. take a second. I believe that anything can happen with them. Goddamn rednecks. <laughs> do yeah. Good. No shit. Um, well, let's take, let's just take a second and talk about, Charles Pierce for a minute because yeah I, I I really do wish that his name was more um, ubiquitous than it actually is um, so he's uh, got into film at a very very young age but he was an art director and a weatherman he hosted a children's cartoon show but he was doing television production jobs for a long time um, and then eventually started an advertising agency and started making commercials he just did these kids shows which is just kind of cute and that's something that he wasn't uh, that you wouldn't really consider until yeah, you unless think you about really that know Romero about the too man Romero was doing shit for Mr. Rogers he did he directed Mr. Rogers episodes yeah. it's yeah. crazy I yeah. mean and you, you do what you do to pay the bills right that's right yeah. that's right I mean Dan we're, you used to do music videos and, and no stuff. I just I said I want to do a hit film we just went you, to Sundance and knocked that. out yeah why not you why waste time <laughs> why waste time I, you know like, I don't believe all these filmmakers that waste all the time yeah. what a bunch of bullshit work your way through one and done yeah Cut me a check. <laughs> no, ironically, while we were doing Blair, we were cutting Planet Hollywood videos. You remember the old yes. oh, yeah. compilation yes. videos? So we were cutting those uh, for Planet Hollywood, of all places, while we were editing Blair Witch. Wow. So that was paying the bills um, while we were you know, scraping our way through wow. post-production. So while I sat there and ate an overpriced hamburger, I'm watching the work. You're, <laughs> you're, wa- you're watching the Bl- Bruce Willis compilation you know, <laughs> while, you're, while you're eating your Hollywood burger. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, we were cutting those. So you directed every music video for Bruce Willis's The Return of Bruno. <laughs> Every. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, Man, you know, can I, he rock a harmonica? Amazing. <laughs> Kevin Bacon, the Bacon Brothers. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, all you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there was, uh, you know, everything from Wesley Snipes, uh, you know, all, you know. Well, he was uh, a local boy, too. Yeah, so. yeah. So it was, but it was, uh, you know, it was good money. Yeah. You know, and they paid way too much for us to cut those things. And, but I guess... Probably explains why they eventually went out of business. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you need? Twenty million? You got it. <laughs> got I have a friend of mine that says if the check clears, it's art. <laughs> yeah, it's art. <laughs> but yeah, that helped uh, indirectly fund the movie. So wow, I, I, that's I, fascinating. I, I give Hollywood credit. Sure, sure. <laughs> for undermining <laughs> themselves. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, Charles Pierce had a you know moonlit basically as a set director, um, and he did that a lot throughout his career as a director as well. He was constantly doing that sort of thing. Boggy Creek was his first um, feature film that he did. Uh, and it Ready was G. obviously a huge, huge yeah. hit. Um, hired high school students to help get the movie made. Yeah. You know, did everything that you need to do with Boggy Creek. Well, they didn't have child labor laws back then either. So, you know. Well, and also it was, also it was <laughs> Falk, Arkansas. I don't think <laughs> yeah, it yeah, mattered it, it, if yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah. But if you're, you know, 
eight or older, you're pretty much you can, yeah, you're you can, done you can, with school. You, at you, that can, point. You, you can drive a tractor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, he went on. He he made several movies. He did a movie called Bootleggers. He did uh, a lot of just crazy stuff. Like Winter Hawk was another movie he did. Uh, Winds of Autumn, of course, Town that Dreaded Sun Sundown. He continued to make films. But really, what's interesting, and I, I, nobody ever talks about this, um, he was the set director on the outlaw Josie Wales, mm. which is where he met Clint Eastwood. They struck up a friendship. A Eventually, friendship. Yeah. yeah, Charles Pierce moved out to L.A., mm-hmm. continued to work as a set director, continued to get some movies made here and there, um, and ended up writing the film Sudden Impact. Right. And he is the one that is given the coinage for the term go or go ahead, go ahead and make day. my day yeah that's whether he takes credit for that yeah absolutely let's give him the credit for it. like yeah, everyone's man. like arguing like oh well technically it was said in uh, this movie the year before like fuck you let him give the guy some credit like let him have his thing no he was a thing i appreciate about pierce is that he's the quintessential indie filmmaker right before it was <sighs> does hip, every job before the true it was, definition before it was hip and cool to be that yeah right he was way before any of us and he was out there freaking hammering it out yeah he really was and that guy did everything and and it wasn't just like throw money and make a movie he he his resourcefulness is really what appeals to me like he managed to find ways to get stuff done and get movies made he would go to these towns and just say look like you know how what a gift of gab that guy must have had yeah had he been a better better businessman he probably so he was the music man of the film industry sure yeah yeah (laughs) yeah but he was uh, he's a, was an inspiration. I mean, he really, really uh, sort of paved the way of that sort of, you know, brat pack indie film thing yeah. before it was cool to be that. Yeah, before, before people knew what auteur meant, before people were reading uh, what yeah. Cahiers or whatever what that magazine was. And, uh, well, it's Andy not like, Milligan. Yeah, I mean, you had the Cassavetes and all those guys that were kind of in the, the new wave, and then you have the New York kind of thing. And he's in Arkansas right. making movies. Right. Right? So hats off, man. Yes. That is just an incredible, incredible talent. And he's going. putting himself, and in like in this movie, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, he plays uh, a deputy who is actually, it's so crazy because I'm watching it and I was like, this is just like Black Christmas. Uh, <laughs> he plays like this deputy, dipshit deputy. His nickname is Sparkplug, <laughs> which is apparently Charles Pierce's real nickname. <laughs> but the irony that. is in the movie, he yeah. plays it real slow and stupid. And he's got all, he's got like, the scene in Town of Dreaded Sundown where he has to dress up in drag to go catch the killer. And he's like the ugliest woman you've ever seen sitting in a car with another guy who you know is not an actor. <laughs> you know he is a local guy, right. big heavy guy with this handlebar mustache. Right. And they improv a scene. And you, it, it's clear it's improv, but there's no long beats. There's no like... You know when you're watching bad improv, yeah, and you're like, oh god, ninety percent of most improv is bad improv. Exactly, this is a one taker, right? And it's <laughs> them doing the scene where he's like, I don't know why I had to be dressed like this out here, and the guy that's sitting next to him, this big, heavy set, arc, uh, you know, Tex Arcana man, man of the law, is like 
giving him eyes, <laughs> reaching around and putting his arm around him, like tickling him, and, like saying, well, maybe. And he goes, come on, you're supposed to make it look real. <laughs> you know? And it's such a hilarious scene. It, it's so funny. Um, I don't recall giving you that direction, hey, sonny boy. <laughs> Let's go ahead and make it real. <laughs> it does feel like that. It really, and it feels like you see Charles Pierce is yeah, kind of like. There's a big back seat back there. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great moment. And actually, it's the Town Dreaded Sundown is full of these. Uh, Really long sequences of just goofball comedy, like Porky's mm. style. <laughs> like you know, yeah. you're like, okay, like what, what, what is this? Right. But this is another terrifying movie, though. I mean, just you know, the psychological aspects in this one. I mean, I I remember first encountering this movie. I was in high school and working at a video store, and this is another one of those cover box. That dude's got a bag on his head. And he looks just like you know Jason Voorhees. Yeah. And, you know, beautiful cover art again. But yeah. uh, it was one of those things that when I took it home and watched, I was like, ugh. You know? And again, I get, I guarantee you watched it on a, th- that shitty VHS where oh, it's washed yeah. out. You can't really see everything. Yeah, circa 1981 or yeah. some shit. Yeah, yeah. It was really, really bad. And you know, the movie was out of print <laughs> for a really long tracking, time. Tracking. So yeah. for years, that's what people had to, to know the movie by. There's some, just like in Boggy Creek, there's some really effective moments that are just stark, like matter of fact, like where the killer just pops into the frame, just like comes into like not trying to be scary. He's just like yeah. walks and you're like, oh, that's frightening. I mean, it's- and there's something about his style that does that. I mean, because you can see it in his work and there's just something a matter of fact. And, you know, you, do, you don't know if it's intentional. You don't know. But there's something it's about, all unsettling. It's about it. It's very You're unsettling. You're seeing it, though, like, yeah. as, like pattern. You know, Absolutely. you see that he does this matter-of-fact, stark. They're, very effective. They're jump scares again without being – he doesn't really put, like, sounds. It's, it's just not like, like it's in a script. Cat yeah. jumps out here. It's right. not really that. I mean, he's got – periodically he's got those kinds of things. But there's something really unsettling about those moments. And the, really it's, it's the matter of factness for me, like yeah. with violence especially, there, there's a couple of scenes. The one that's noteworthy, there's a couple that are noteworthy, but the one murder scene that everybody talks about is where he stra- agonizingly straps the girl to a tree, finds her trombone in the car, uh, t- tapes a knife to the trombone, and then it's genuinely unsettling. In he starts like, playing it mm. like making the noise and he's breathing heavy and it's like that's a crazy person is doing that yeah and then he um you know blows the trombone and stabs the girl in the back multiple times and mm. it's fucking stupid it's it's like mm. really ridiculous and over the top like you know friday the 13th style murder before that obviously right but then and that's kind of goofball but then there's a murder later on where don wells um which one is she Marianne. Marianne? Yeah. What, you got, what are you, Dan? Are you a ginger or Marianne? I, you know, I, I think I was into ginger, man. Yeah. I mean, she was just so, like, in your face, like, ah, you yeah, know, I got was red too. hair. I was a ginger. It's fine. I'll go with Marianne. Yeah. Marianne was super oh, okay. cute. Don't get me wrong. Super, super cute. But ginger was, like, the whole package. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, so, you know, she's, Don Wells is sitting there, and her husband is, uh, like, watching TV or whatever, and this killer comes up with a gun and just shoots the guy in the head twice. And it's so, it's so like low key how the guy, you know, you know, what you, that's what, that's what's you scary have to now about die it. Actor. Right. Right. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, this guy just slumps like no performance, just yeah. slumps to the ground and it's, or like in his back in his chair. Yeah. 
and it's so non-presentational. Yeah, right. and, and, and it makes and, it that much more effective. And then yeah. she's looking and seeing, and he just pops up in front of the screen. You just mm-hmm. see this head, and yeah. from there, and shoots her in the face. Right. It's just like okay, <laughs> it's so creepy, and and it's exploitation obviously because it's violence and it's made for cinema and it's on screen but it doesn't feel like exploitative like dirty like last house on the left does or you know it it, it just well, feels actually, like if anything scarier. it reminds me of henry portrait of serial killer yeah that's one of the worst i mean as far as far as like disturbingly realistic which is yeah. i think it's a brilliant movie but the simplicity of it and like you said it's the matter of factness of of those scenes like this this is the way death really happens yeah and that's what that's what gets it's you. not glamorous it's not pretty i mean oh. it, it it yeah i mean the only what's the only pretty death was the woman that jumped from the empire state building right like, yeah right <laughs> you know that you know that one right chris the woman that what? the angel the woman that like jumped off a building because she was upset her boyfriend broke up with her and she fell landed on a car and they took a picture of her, and it's a, this beautiful woman splayed out on this car. I don't. And think there's I've no ever blood. There's no. It's it, like the, the way to go out. That's the way you want to go out. Yeah, right? but that's not really how it works for anybody <laughs> yeah, else. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I remember the Pieta of Father Michael, who was like a Catholic priest and chaplain for one of the firehouses in New York during 9/11, and he was in there administering to all. I mean, he, you know, he was there with everybody. And at some point, I don't know if something collapsed on him or what, but they there were a couple firemen. They had him like in a folding chair and he was sitting in the folding chair and they brought him out. And that was one of like the most beautiful way because he did. It looked like the Pieta, you know, it mm. looked like the Virgin Mary holding Jesus and everything. Right. Hmm. And he's just kind of like this as they're carrying him out. But this woman, the, the angel of Empire State, something, something like that. Yeah. I've never seen oh, that wow. image. Also in high school, um, uh, this kid, Todd Handman, died while he was uh, doing his glamour shots and he was wearing his leather jacket and he was like this and he died. And they took the picture, and it's like the best glamour shot, and they used it in the. That's I'm making. Hell, okay. <laughs> like, oh how did he die? Did a light fall on him? He just, engaging. He, he just know, fell he, asleep right he, there. That, Motherfucker that does that it. all the time. It's like, and they've got the double asshole. exposure too, so they got this side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then it's spear photography, so you can see him standing over his shoulder. There's a curly yeah. feel. Yeah, yeah. Head, <laughs> dead, so dead as a doornail. Yeah. Yeah, there he is. All right, so I'll wrap up on on Town of Dreaded Sundown. It's a it's. It's Charles Pierce at a, at a at a very skilled level. I think he learned a lot. It doesn't feel as um, not to cr- criticize your choice, Dan, but like there, it doesn't feel as travelogue uh, inspired. Like there's not as many shots of like scenic uh, otters swimming around Driving. and, yeah, and yeah. dry. But it it does have that languid pace that he was excellent at. Um, mm-hmm. That some people could take or leave. I guess it's, you could say, "Oh, I'm going to fall asleep here," but. To me, that's what makes it so, such a great drive-in movie. I mean, it's also a sign of the times. Those movies in those days just had much more developed and much yeah. more drawn-out scenes. And, like, we want everything super quick now. Yeah, right? but so I, like, I love the languid pace. And yeah. I love – and it also works great for a drive-in because now I've got to go get up and get something from the concession stand. Or yeah. I've got to go or I've got to yeah. make out with my person. So still walking through. Okay, I'm walking. You know, yeah. Go, go get some popcorn come back, you know. Right. Did right. I miss anything? No, still walking. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's very – it's just a very effective movie. And, again, it's tinged. It's not tinged. It's like in it. It's intrinsic. That film. It just oozes southern gothic. Uh, it just. It's everywhere in the film. It's in its DNA. 
and it's just very it's very very effective and there's no <laughs> unfortunately there's no and the cohooted killer song he <laughs> lives amongst us still i i could have used some more of that but down 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 ballad of the hooded killer yeah boy you sure got a pretty hood <laughs> <laughs> um so i don't know some dead city tallies you get uh you well you, you've got ben johnson um who is probably the most inept deputy uh, in a in a movie ever? He's he has a great scene, which plays greatly against type when it comes to Ben Johnson. Too. Yeah, he's got wait. Ben Johnson's the younger guy, right? He's the guy from. Uh, am I right? Am I thinking of him? Yeah, he's from the Wild Bunch. He was in. Yeah, uh, but is Ben? Wait, is oh so Ben Johnson's the 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 Texas guy. Ranger, not Ben Johnson. I I'm is it Andrew Prine? Is yeah, that Andrew Prine's who you're thinking of. Yeah. Who, who is that actor, Chris? What is he from? God, Andrew Prine. Uh, wasn't he in The Seduction? The, oh, The Last Picture Show. Okay. Yeah. She wore a yellow ribbon. Holy shit. Oh, no, wait. No, 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 no. Any, okay, look, it doesn't matter. Andrew Prine is the guy who plays like the cocksure deputy who is the most inept sheriff. He always plays a smarmy asshole yes. in like everything. Oh, he's in Grizzly, isn't he? Yes. That's what it is. He's in Grizzly is the movie I'm thinking yes. of. And he plays the same fucking character. <laughs> but also inept. Right. Completely inept. But he's great. Um, so yeah. you got you got these just very like southern well, actually, they're not Southern. They're they're Texas, right? So they yeah. they got a Texarkana. Yeah, Texarkana. So it's a oh, little bit that's kind of a weird like kind of somewhere between Midwest and like Ozark. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Ozark, definitely deep Ozark. Um, so you've got those guys. You got Don Wells. You get shot in the face. <laughs> You're just like, oh my god, why did she do that movie? I think it was a favor. I think she, it was a favor to the director. Believe right, it or not, right, she worked like one day on that movie. Okay. Um, if the check clears, it's art. <laughs> You've got a genuinely unsettling uh, killer because this is like a proto slasher or a slasher film. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, you get POV shots. You get absolutely uh, it was after yeah. Black Christmas. So it is. It is after Two Black Christmas. After you're Black right. Christmas. You're right. Yeah. So it's it's got all that. It's got obviously a, a very inspirational killer design with that hooded mask. Yeah. Um, the performance by that actor is that stuntman is actually really really great i mean when he breathes in that mask and you see it on his face i mean that mask has been utilized friday 13th part 2 that movie cry wolf was another movie that was made that has that kind of a i guess that's more like torso the the killer's mask in that movie but nerd alert um (laughs) (laughs) it's got trombone kill in the back it's got it, it it really does have like a lot of crazy murders and then it's just has that great drive-in ending right. boggy creek does too halloween has it where you're j- and actually and pumpkin head has it as well mm-hmm. where you just go it's open-ended yeah. so they just go and it's still out there right you go, know now go camping yeah now like, go wait, camping wait, what, what? <laughs> go sleep on the yeah. beach yeah. Yeah. now go now go home kids everybody yeah. everybody go home um so it's 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 a really creepy movie and you know Charles Pierce made another one after that also fits in southern gothic that nobody talks about I just want to mention called The Evictors. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen this movie or not. Um but it's a big kind of splashy red font Evictors across You know, the I don't know what the title looks like, but it was made it, it was like it got kind of lost, but it's Jessica Harper. Oh, okay. And our buddy Michael Parks. Oh, nice. And a really shady creepy Vic Morrow. Um, and it's, is there any other kind of? I was about to say, it's like <laughs> the Vic Morrow. Yeah, you're <laughs> yeah. right, right. But he's a real sleazeball yeah, in this yeah, one. I mean, I'm it's going. like what's going on. But that's another. It's another one of those. It's a Southern Gothic movie about defending your home. 
really really weird it's a straw dogs it's <laughs> Southern yeah Gothic but it's style. not it's not quite as shocking as straw dogs but it is as downbeat and un, not quite as unpleasant mm. but very like ooh and that is in my opinion just to mention talk about charles pierce for a minute that is his i think pinnacle of work as a director i think he really he oh, having a, michael parks to work with yeah too, that's he, he does a great job with that movie so it's one of those things and it was very underseen and i'm sure it was very disappointing for him to have to to, to go through that i mean as an independent filmmaker the world's very tough to no, navigate. he had issues with hollywood right i mean yeah. it's a, it was it's a it's a brutal business and that's when you're trying to do your own thing and you know you're wanting to see your own vision through it's just it's very very difficult and that's always the double-edged sword you need the money but then you have to appeal to their sensibilities right so. right well i know you like for example you had you were offered blair witch 2 right away right away and we turned it down yeah. and um we just felt it was a little bit too much too soon you know yeah, and, and, and not to talk about that movie in, in a negative light but like you're probably right because i don't think audiences flocked to that film and they probably needed a break i mean it's there, there's a there's a, a life cycle with publicity where at first when it was a sort of a discovery everyone loved it the press loved yeah. it and then it became like really big and really hyped up and then it became fashionable to hate it right so the contrarians come out of the woodwork and so now you have to let that die down and pick it up later on and unfortunately the artisan didn't think it was gonna you know they'll never come back and see it he goes well look i mean this thing's so huge if we decided to do this in two years you don't think people will come back for blair too i I mean right it's kind of because that i feel like that movie was rushed into production it was, I mean, I less I, than a year. Yeah, less than a year. And, and I think, you know, uh, without getting too much of the dirty laundry out yeah. there, I mean, I mean, Joe Berlinger, I really have a lot of respect for him as a director, and At- and he's a great documentarian, and you know, had a I think a, a good sensibility with regards to the narrative structure of. It's a really a cool high concept. Yeah, and I think if it wasn't burdened by the legacy of the first film, I think it, uh, standalone is a perfectly fine film. Um, yeah, a movie about mean, hype that unfortunately suffers because of hype. Yeah, yeah. I actually would. I actually have a defense for that film. Yeah. I really do. Uh, I, and I, I, I always get frustrated when people just make something so black and white about their hatred or right. dislike for a movie because I'm like, that's not obviously was not the intent. Yeah. of Joe to go in and make a shitty movie. You no, know, no. It's, I mean, it's it's a well crafted film. It's, it really it's is. Yeah. It's, it's, too, it's yeah. like Jeffrey Donovan in one of his first. It also, things. by the way, has one of the creepiest things I'd seen in a movie like uh, there's a scene where this one character is like in a hospital and she like pulls a curtain back and there's the Eileen that's a good beat there dead little girl absolutely that I actually don't like to watch that scene by that myself because I'm like ooh yeah (laughs) Uh, okay so uh, let's 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 wrap it up before we do I want to just play a quick little game with everybody fun this Uh is a a game that there's uh, no math yeah, uh, oh, no, no math involved. We're on the same page there. Why is that the bane of existence for all artistic people? Every, every artist that I know is like, there's not any fucking math involved, is there? <laughs> I'm not gonna Except for like count. musicians. Musicians are like the one people like math kind Think of can do work math, in their right. world. Yeah, let's do four, four time. You're like, okay, that's eight? Yeah. <laughs> four plus four. That's what I know about math. Right. Let's not get one, any more. Two, three, four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this game is called Who Let the Squatch Out? <laughs> <laughs> uh, as we know, there are uh, there are it pretty much every state there is a different mythic creature or cryptid to go along with it. I mean, the folklore is strong in all of these states. Um, everybody's got their own. What I'm going to do is I'm going to name a state, 
And then I'm also going to name... I'll wait for you to finish chewing. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I was trying to do it away from the mic. Uh, no. Obviously, that did These not are work good mics. at all. The chew monster. <laughs> Sorry, that was the squatch <laughs> munching on the bones. <laughs> the icebreaker is supposed to be earlier, Chris. That's, yeah. Okay. I'm going to name a state. I'm also going to name three different creatures. And you guys will guess which is the correct mythic monster for that state. Now, Dan, just so you know, whoever wins gets $1 million. Amazing. Um, uh, that is just written out to you today as a check. Uh, nice. You get it. And then we take a tax percentage of that, and I think our tax percentage is like 120%. Got it. Okay, so whoever wins basically owes me. So it's like a game show, like an actual game show. <laughs> yes, okay. exactly, exactly. <laughs> or a distribution deal for a film. Yeah. Same, same <laughs> math. Right. Same math. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, we'll give you some of that profit on there. Yeah. Sure, um, sure. Okay, so here we go. We're going to start with Alabama. Is Alabama's number one cryptid boy? Is it Sharp Tooth? Is it White Fang? Or is it White Fang? Uh, Dan, you go ahead. White fang? White fang. Or white fang. Or sharp tooth. White fang. You're going with white fang. Sharp tooth. Sharp tooth. <laughs> the correct answer is white fang. Boom. It is an albino Bigfoot with the head of a cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yep. 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 All right. Connecticut. Does Connecticut have... The melon heads, the pumpkin heads, or the talking heads. All right, Dan, I'll, I'll let you go ahead. I'm first. going melon heads. Melon heads? I'll do the same. Melon heads. The correct answer is, well, we know where we're going. No, I'm okay. kidding. It's not the talking heads. Uh, same as it ever was. It is the melon heads. Tiny humans with huge heads, inbred cannibal descendants of escaped asylum inmates. Creepy, man. Oh, okay. Pumpkin heads meets melon heads. That's right. It's a cornucopia of fear. <laughs> <laughs> Trademarked. <Yeah. clears throat> All right. Now, Florida. Does Florida's, is Florida's cryptic monster, is it the skunk snake? Is it the skunk ape? Or is it skunk guts? Oh, who wrote oh, that? Oh, you Sk dirty son of a bitch. You're doing that? that to yourself. <laughs> That would be skunk ape. Okay. That's, that's, I mean, a, that's an easy one. a fellow one. Floridian. Yeah, 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 yeah. Skunk ape, Which I guess over, you know, Gatorland. Oh, uh, yeah. That's kind of their big thing, too. When COVID came along, they went and did this entire series. Because, uh, I mean, you live in Orlando. Do you listen to the monsters? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the monsters of the midday yeah, and everything. absolutely. Savannah now works at Gatorland. I mean, that's her big gig now. She is one of like the oh, she works handlers. Like a, she actually handles the animals and does tours awesome. and everything like that. So yeah, Savannah, the uh, possum queen of uh, Winter Garden yeah. is now working yeah. at Gatorland. But they did an entire series of skunk ape videos. Right. And uh, if you haven't seen them, they're on YouTube. Check them out. They're, Whether they're out hysterical. looking for him or just no, like, it's like tongue he, in cheek? He, or? He, yeah, they're totally tongue right. in cheek. Um, he is, I, I guess, kind of like they're kind of little mini mascot that's helping them show all the social distance and like, you know, health gotcha. you know, health things yeah, you yeah. need to do, you know, use hand sanitizer and skunk apes. Like <laughs> he's got a t-shirt on like nice. sunglasses. It's, it's, they're hysterical. Oh, that's great. But yeah, yeah my wife used to work at Gatorland. That place ago, is awesome. So. I, I, yeah, that's a definitely a go-to. So yeah, there's, there's know, a plug there for uh, Gatorland. Yeah. Here we go. Idaho is Idaho's cryptid. Charlie. Charday. Or old Potato Dave. Potato Dave. 
Potato Dave. Yeah, I'll go with that one too. The correct answer, believe it or not, is Charlie. Oh. Who is a 35 foot long lake dwelling dinosaur creature. Uh, flippers. Oh. It has. It's like a Loch Ness monster type thing. Yes. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, Iowa. Is it the Van Sniffer monster? <laughs> Another, also known as Frank. <laughs> is it Frank? He works down at the gas station. He likes to sniff vans. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's rocking, don't come a sniffing. It's a, a Phillips 88 station down the way. Okay. Van Sniffer monster. Is it the Van Meter monster? Or is it the Van Williams monster? Van Williams is in like Zorro. Van Williams? is in the Green Hornet. <laughs> oh, Van, yeah, sorry, Green Hornet. And so, yeah. what was the first one again? The right. Sniffer, the Van Guy Sniffer Williams. monster. I'm going the Van Sniffer. Okay, I'll take B. The Van Meter monster. Yeah. The correct answer is the Van Meter monster, oh. a man-shaped bat who lives in a mine shaft. Has some imps. Oh, you need a couple of imps. Man bat. <laughs> man bat. It's man bat. All right, a... Kansas is Kansas's monster. Is it uh, sinkhole Sam, cornfield Kevin? Or fuckface Freddy. <laughs> Sorry, it was late. Look, I, I met Cornfield Kevin once. <laughs> it was not a pleasant experience. <laughs> you know, if you take sinkhole and cornhole, wait, wait a second. <laughs> they were dating for just about a month or two, <laughs> and that's why they call him Fuckface Freddy. That's it. All uh, right, that was uh, what you so said. You guys. I, <laughs> I think I'm already married to Cornfield Kevin. So. Okay, Cornfield Kevin. Why, don't, why don't we split the difference on that one? Yeah, I'll yeah. take the other one besides Fuckface. Sinkhole Sam. There we it, go. It is actually, believe it or not, Sinkhole Sam. Okay. A 15-foot prehistoric eel creature that escaped from a it's sinkhole. Cool. Nice. Um, all right. In Missouri, a couple more years. Missouri is the creature Dobo, Brobo, or Momo? Missouri, Debo. Yeah, Missouri. <laughs> That's Missouri. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'll yeah, I'll go Dobo. Dobo. What are the other bows? Brobo? <laughs> <and> Momo. <laughs> <laughs> Only because what's I wanted that, to say that, that walk like a man thing, you know. I'm, I'm not a bobo, or I'm not, I'm not homo, oh, I'm my, a bobo. Oh my god! Your favorite line, my favorite Howie Mandel performance of yeah, all time. I'll, I'll do Momo. It is Momo. It is oh, a foul-smelling, hairy monster with three toes. Nice, believe okay. it or not. Awesome. Okay, Pennsylvania, the gonk. Is it the squonk, or is it the gronk? <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Pennsylvania Gonk Squonk Gronk I'll go with Gronk Okay We got a Gronk here right Yeah, so yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll yep. go with a Gronk Yeah You're going same No I'll say Spunk That's not one of the choices I'm going to say Spunk anyway <laughs> <laughs> It is the Squonk Get this guys This fucking thing <laughs> Is a saggy skin sack Covered in warts Just disgusting and miserable It escapes captivity By crying itself Into a pool of water And drifting away oh my God. Okay <laughs> That's what it does Alright here we go uh, Two more uh, Rhode Island Is it the vampire Mercy Brown Is it the vampire Murphy Brown <laughs> Or is it the vampire Bobby Brown Hmm. Well, since it's Brown University, I, I will say Mercy Brown. Mercy Brown? Yeah, Mercy Brown sounds good to me. That is correct. It is oh, Mercy right. Brown, who is an ambulatory corpse of vampire. Ooh. And then lastly, Washington. State? Washington State. Okay, that's where I'm from. So don't screw this one up, Dan. I know. Okay. Is okay. it 
Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's it. Okay. Is Washington's creature, is it Bigfoot? Is it Littlefoot? Or is it just right foot? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think everybody knows I this one, right? I think I'm going to go with Bigfoot yep. on that one. Yeah. Chris, I think I'll agree on it that. It is yeah. Bigfoot, by the way. Hairy, ape-like biped, seven to nine feet tall. Had its own sitcom on television. It did? So, Harry and the Hendersons. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. The most famous probably cryptid of all? I would say so. Between that and Loch Ness. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. I mean, pretty much everyone is a ripoff of one of those two. Right? Has, a, has a monster tr- truck named after him. So yeah, that, that's yeah. right. That's right. Um, okay, guys. So we've got three movies going into the ring. We've got two we have to pick. We're talking about a double three feature movies into, of, two movies of Southern Gothic horror. I'll go ahead and go first. I'm going to say, I think for me, it's a double bill of The Town That Dreaded Sundown. And the legend of Boggy Creek. That's where it is for me. Um, Dan, how about yourself? That's. I think I would do a Pierce double feature. Pierce double myself, feature. Yeah, I'm, sure. I'm with you there. Like, honestly, seriously, if we've got two movies by Charles Pierce in, in you gotta one run, show, you gotta let's, run with let's that. go with that. Now this is the and moment also I get, where... to, I get to save my movie, you know, for not going in the vault. That's right. So, no. so is this a moment <clears throat> where you cry yourself into a puddle to slowly escape? <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> yeah, the, the big <laughs> saggy nutsack that I am. <laughs> I'm just gonna sit here and go. <laughs> The gr- the gronk. <laughs> I liked him. He was a good guy. Yeah, he was. All he those cr- words, disgusting. Crunched, Fuck you. Crunched a lot of ice, though, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he was a real ice cruncher. <laughs> so yeah. since Dan and I double-teamed you, we're going to go ahead and let <laughs> you... didn't even give me a kiss or buy me a drink. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> we're going to let you... Why don't you pick the, uh, the, order, the order of the film? Uh, I think we should go chronologically. Yeah. I think we should start with Boggy Creek because number one, it's a G-rated film, so you know you can bring the kiddies along and they can watch that one and traumatize them early, freak yeah. out right. early. <laughs> and if they do happen to fall asleep, great, you know they won't have to witness what they see in in the town that dreaded sundown. But if they can't go to sleep because of Boggy Creek, then you can just fuck them up even more and have them watch that movie too. There you go. Awesome, yeah. that's a great choice. I think the uh, great I parental think- advice. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have two kids. They're going to turn out just fine. Or just right. <laughs> just right. Uh, Dan, what are, you, what are you working on right now? Uh, a lot of things we're working on. Uh, the Black Veil series we're yeah. shooting here in Florida and Tampa. Hey, isn't that a Southern Gothic? It is a Southern Gothic What a coinciding. Wow. So, yeah, we just shot – actually, we shot the first pilot episode prior to COVID, which I directed. And uh, now we are rolling into the second episode uh, with Tommy McLaughlin, who's now directing. Yes. So we'll start that at the end of the month, which will be a lot of fun. And we've got four more after that to do. So that's sort of on the immediate front burner. Does right he now. still have great hair? He does. Okay. Awesome good, hair. Good. Super guy. Super nice guy. And great Total hair. rock and roller. So yeah, that. And I'm writing a script right now um, that takes place in the Everglades. Oh, nice. Talk about monsters. It's a comedy horror sort of inspired by Tremors. And, um, there needs is, to be more movies about the Everglades. Yeah, yeah. I think Tremors meets Swamp. Thing is sort of the best way to describe. Oh, wow. it. Our, our so. friend Jack, who's been a guest on the show a few times, Tremors is like his favorite movie of all time. Yeah. So that he's going to love mm-hmm. hearing that. Yeah, That's it's wonderful. An awesome film. I love that tone, that comic, comedic horror kind of, you know, uh, even a little bit of sci-fi in there. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. so. It's it's really just a, a. I don't think it's been done enough, in my opinion. You know, and so yeah, doing that in the Everglades and a lot of mud, a lot of four by four swamp buggies and monsters. 
Great. <laughs> What's <laughs> not awesome. to like? Maybe a python or two. Yes, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, well, there's that's definitely awesome. a python gator hybrid in the in the nice. in, in there somewhere. So we'll see how it all turns out. But yeah, very exciting. It's great to be wonderful here. to be uh, yeah. with you and talk to you. It's no, it's a, it's a real pleasure. And you know, I love that you guys are doing this, and I love like talking about these movies and. It's just, you know, uh, and the people that understand how these films are made and, the, and the, the heart and soul that goes into these things, just having that appreciated is really nice. Oh, thanks. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that wraps up another episode of Dead City Drive-In. Once again, I'm Brandon Windish. And I'm Chris Holcomb. And remember, at this drive-in, if the cars are rocking, it doesn't necessarily mean somebody's fucking. They're probably getting murdered. <laughs> <laughs> Under 17, not admitted without parent.